Welcome back to the Goodwill Podcasting alongside us, as always, Dan, and we have a special guest today with Stone. What's going on, brother? What's on? What's going on, guys? Welcome to my car. Uh, I'm doing this podcast. Thank you, thank you. You're in Starbucks parking lot. Are we going to have to give them any compensation? I don't know. I got all the cups at home. Let me see. We got a a logo on this cup, so we're going to keep that down. A logo on that cup, so we're gonna keep that down. But no, I'll hide it. We're, I think we. Should, I think we'll be all right. Who knows? Maybe they'll sponsor you. You really are a white girl with Taylor Swift in your top five. Yeah. And at Starbucks yeah. right now. <laughs> cruel summer, man. I'm telling you what, it was a pretty brutal summer, and that that song gave me comfort. I'll tell you what. What's the Starbucks order, Stone? Oh, I worked at Starbucks. Uh, shoot, when did I start working at Starbucks? You're just digging yourself deeper. <laughs> That's fine. It's all right. I like working at Starbucks. I always told people I worked when I was in college. I worked at a, uh, like a, um, an actual gourmet, not gourmet, but an, a local coffee shop that was very nice. Very wealthy people owned it. And I didn't know, uh, all these people know at those types of coffee shops, know very scientific, like how to tamp things and you know the water has to be a certain temperature i was told people i was a barista there because you can still work there and not be a barista but i always told people i thought i was good at it because no one ever complained can't tell you any scientific thing about it but no one ever came up to me and said hey this drink is really shitty so i was like i did pretty good but yeah at starbucks i started working at starbucks in 2020 actually because of covid and um because i got laid off somewhere else and i've and i lost 50 pounds Damn. Um, and 2020 because at the same time uh so what i did was i worked at starbucks and i worked at walmart and at walmart um i was a online grocery shopper so i would walk around for eight hours of the day and that was freshly out of college too so i gained 50 pounds during college and i lost 50 pounds a year after college um but because i was on that fix of trying to lose weight i've always gotten a uh a venti iced skinny vanilla latte and I've gotten that for like three years now. That's some jet fuel. That's good. Yeah, but these people actually got it wrong. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what Starbucks I'm at. So the you know the listeners of this show um, put bad Yelp reviews on, but uh, they got it wrong. That's right. That's right. Don't want to dox the Starbucks. So they'll do that. Uh, it's supposed to be not that milk, and they gave me regular milk. But you know, I'm not bitter about it. It's fine. I'm gonna gain some weight, but it's fine. Speaking about gaining weight, when uh because I'm recently in New Jersey and I moved from New Orleans and my place in New Orleans they had a Raising Cane's right down the road. I pro- I have not weighed myself in a long time. Let me, let me say. I've heard good uh, things about Raising Cane's. Oh, it, the bad thing about it is that it was right down the road. I'll tell you that, but yes, it's uh, it's, it's pretty tasty. I gotta say, but there's a Cane's like, there's a Cane's like two minutes from my house, but Cane's is so aggressively mid, but the sauce makes it worth it. <laughs> Sauce is pretty good. Yeah. I've never even seen one. Guess, so, really, no, they're out there. Yeah. I'm telling you, Chick Fil A is far better. Cane sauce just makes it worth it. Chick Fil A, every Chick Fil A around me just like prints money. Like there's the, there's the line is preposterous. No matter what time of day, no matter what day, except for Sundays, uh, you know. But um, yeah, Chick Fil A goes crazy and. Uh, Around Philly. If I was a business, yeah, I would I think just we... sell the exact same thing as Chick Fil A, but then just be open on Sundays, and then you get all their business. Yeah, yeah. Dude, just pull up a food truck and call up the side chick or something. 
Donna, why why are we podcasting? <laughs> She'd be in the chicken business. Um, all right, we got to get off the chicken talk. Yeah. All right. Anyway, today we are uh, talking all of David Fincher's filmography. These two uh, did a little better research than I did. So we'll start off with one I haven't seen, Alien 3. What's your boy's thoughts? Stone, you want to start? I can go first. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. Um, I know that there was a lot of. Uh, I watched a video on it. So when I, this is the only only one of Fincher that I haven't watched recently. I watched all of the Alien films for the first time. Not all of them for the first time, but I did a uh, binge of all the movies back in August, I think. And that's the first time I watched Alien Three. And I watched a video afterwards, and I know that there's a lot of production issues that Dan might know better than me. But a lot of it wasn't his fault why it was bad, but especially, I think I have it at two and a half, and I do think it's his worst film probably. But I think what even, and a lot of people don't think that, like I've seen other rankings where it's not in the bottom. But when you watch Alien, and then Aliens, and then Alien 3, that puts a really big distaste in your mouth. Because um, it's just not up to the same standards. There's a lot of very interesting ideas in it, but I will tell you one thing though. Um, there's very a lot of iconic scenes in the franchise, but um, towards the end of the film, there is, an, a, in my opinion, a scene that is unforgettable. Uh, do you want me to tell you about it, uh, Connor? You want to you experience it oh, the yeah. first time? Oh, yeah. Feel free. Um, there's a scene where basically someone's just running away from an alien. And it's, it's really horrible to look at. It's one of the, it, the camera and what it's doing. It, uh, if I remember correctly, it keeps showing the same shot over again of the guy's face running away and then the hallway. But then what looks very terrible is at first I thought it was CGI, but I think they actually used a puppet. They used a puppet of an alien to chase him. And it looks not good at all. <laughs> and that scene, I was like, what? I was like, what am I watching? Because that the other, it just didn't match tonally with the rest of the film as well. The film has a lot of interesting themes in it that honestly correlate more to the ones that are in Prometheus and Alien Covenant. A lot about religion, to be honest. But um, yeah, the first half's pretty good, but then the second half uh, dips quite a bit. And um, now that I'm thinking about it, Dan, you might know the guy's um, name. I can't think of the top of my head. But I just watched Mank for the first time. Told you guys before I jumped on the podcast. And the same guy who is in Game of Thrones, is in Alien 3 and also Mank. The the Lannister, the dad. Yeah, Charles Dance. Yeah, I forgot that he's in Alien 3, and I just remembered it now that he's both in Alien 3 and in Mank, so that's kind of cool for Fincher to use him twice. But yeah, those are my little, little bit of thoughts right there. But Yeah, I, I, I love Charles Dance. I think he's uh, awesome. He was like, I mean, I, I love seeing him in Mank, even though I don't love that movie. Um, I think you talked, you mentioned a little bit about the problems with Alien 3, I think the attitude that um, a lot of people have towards the movie are kind of similar towards like the studio's feel. I think um, like Fox I had a lot of expectations after obviously the first two were massive successes. And I think they wanted to have a lot of very like fine control over the direction of this movie um, and how like they knew exactly what they wanted it to look like. But I think when you're bringing in a director like David Fincher, who obviously has like his own very particular style 
and he's very um technically proficient but also like unique and he also likes things done in a certain way i think the amount of like takes he likes to do um ended up with like a lot of budget problems on the movie um i think things from the timeline perspective got really skewed really quickly they couldn't i mean even from the script like they they couldn't even nail down the script how they wanted it to be there were so many rewrites um and then afterwards there were so many reshoots like it just feels so dis like the movie itself feels so disjointed and you can see like at every step of the process um you see that reflected and you kind of it's easy to see why it ended up the way it was so i think it's a shame um and i feel like maybe if they had gone with the director i just don't think maybe he was the right choice and not that's not his fault um that more so reflects on the studio because if they just want a yes man like don't bring in david fincher you know that's kind of how i feel about it <clears throat> yeah it kind of reminds me of like mar mar the modern marvel movies how they would you know take an indie director to put him in a giant project and that's very strange because they're not used to directing big action and just thinking of the rest of fincher's filmography an alien movie does not match that at all and it's funny what you said though that the fact that the studio you know had had uh, you know the the reins of the production it we'll get into it later but um then that makes me think of why he probably likes netflix so much is the fact that they don't do that and just let him do whatever he wants you know but yeah um and i think you know you're talking about marvel i think it's kind of the same thing marvel runs into a lot where like people they, they they also take directors now and like marvel directors don't not that they don't do anything but they're not directing the movies like kevin feige is saying this is what this is going to kevin feige should be fired kevin feige should not have a job like that dude should have been fired a while ago and this like this whole endeavor is like clearly way too much for him to manage like they had the right idea when they were splitting up the mcu into different segments and it was like okay james gunn is going to head up the like cosmic arena and like he can manage those movies and you could have five six different subsets of the property that there's a different creative vision and there's like someone who knows that style is able to execute multiple films in that style now you just had I me mean, you just have had one person dictating all types of different projects that should be different stylistically and they're just painting it with one broad brush like it's way too much on his plate and he's not doing a good job but like not to get into marvel but it's a similar where this at the top they know how they want something to be and the directors like nia DaCosta, like she didn't direct the marvels like and then they they try to put that on her like that the movie did bad like it's just it's such a joke because she didn't direct that movie really um and she's a good director so it's just like it's classic studio bullshit, I think. Um, and this is like a prime example with Fincher. Dude, the MCU should have ended after Endgame. I stand by that. Yeah, I mean, at the at the very, like, it's, they could have just completely rebooted or just like restarted or like given it some time. Like it just trying to keep it rolling in the way they did was just, it was just a mistake. But, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but yeah, so long story short, I think this is a great kind of cautionary tale about like studio interference and how it's better to just 
you know, they could have just let Fincher do his thing and he probably would have made a, a pretty good movie. Um, you know, it might not have been exactly what they wanted it to be, but it would have been better than what, what they got. So that's how I feel about it. So I uh, probably shouldn't admit this online, but I also haven't seen Aliens. <laughs> you got to get on that, sir. Uh, you can I know, dude. That. That's I like mean, been top of my watch list for a while. I mean, there's tons of movies that I haven't watched. Um, so I mean, there's nothing. I mean, that's kind of that's uh, you know, props to you for actually saying that. Um, it's very, it's it's good. It's very different than uh, Alien, which is incredible that you can switch so tonally and have the same, um, you know, story. But both films are extremely excellent, which is really really cool to see because i feel like now a time like in nowadays time if they had a horror movie and all of a sudden it became like an action movie people would not love that at all but it's cool that it, they were able to do it with such you know two big huge iconic directors but yeah, i will also say i think i think alien this um aliens three feels a lot more in tone like the original than aliens um okay which, you know, it's it's more kind of like horror oriented and less like action blockbuster. Um which, you know, I like in concept, but I don't think the execution was necessarily there. Wait, Connor, you don't even know what probably Alien Three is about, do you? No. Oh. Uh I'll I'll I mean, I'll I'll tell you really quick what it like if I can explain it. But basically Ripley just crash lands on a planet that is um that has a not fortress but has a facility in place where it is uh men they're all men and it's just her and basically um she all these men are prisoners and like really um, corrupt men who did awful things i think a lot of times with women as well and basically there's an alien there and he breeds havoc but uh they like have their like a brotherly bond like religious um thing going on as well um and it's very interesting because you know this there's a certain gentleman who leads the entire group when it comes to this religious aspect and it's interesting because he's he's not a good guy but he's trying to change so it's very very interesting the the um the setting of the movie i would say i really liked that but then like i said just at the end it kind of just goes off the rails for me but it's a pretty interesting concept have you read the synopsis of it on Letterboxd? The first line is, the bitch is back. <laughs> and I think Sigourney Weaver like, is still awesome. I mean, um, I think her character is still, and is still really cool. Also, um, Stone, in relation to what you were just talking about in terms of like the themes of the movie and whatnot, I think it is interesting how like Fincher is so hyper-focused on, like, human nature um, and good and evil and all that. And I think, like, you do kind of see, like, you do see that present here. So, like, he does kind of leave his stamp on it um, in that way. I actually did a, a detailed review, um, and um, I think there was a, let me see here, Sigourney Weaver wasn't a part of the story until the studio demanded that she be. 
And after being nominated for Best Actress in Aliens, Weaver actually had a lot of power in the making of the movie. One specific example is the fact that she doesn't like guns. So in this film, there are no guns to be found for almost the entire runtime. So she had a big say in what happened because she was hot stuff kind of now. Yeah. So what that you said is this movie garbage because of her. Well, I, no, no, but <laughs> I think I think anytime you have um, kind of too many minds involved in a creative process in a movie, it can struggle regardless of like the quality of the ideas from each of those minds. Like it's just I think a lot of times it's better to just have one distinct creative vision and allow that to like push something forward you know even though other people might have good ideas like they're all normally kind of half-baked and it's not always going to flow properly into you know one cohesive story i think it's better to just let someone take over and just dominate in terms of you know direction and whatnot but that's just how i feel about it all right. Did you guys want to talk about the Rick Springfield at all that Fincher directed? I don't know a thing about it, but okay. if you want to talk about it, yeah, what, I, I haven't seen it. I I I was just skipping over that since we're going in like his timeline order of direction. Okay. Yeah, I think we just okay. two main films. That was what I was thinking too. I was going to skip Love Death Robots as well. Okay. Fun fact about that, that is the only Love, Death, and Robots episode that I've watched because I heard it was really good, and this was years ago, and I had no idea that Fincher directed it. Not a single clue. And something I also noticed, too, I was looking it up in Letterboxd, was that the lead actor from it, because um, it's animated, obviously, is the same guy who did the um, motion capture work for Joel in The Last of Us video games, Troy Baker. Yeah, yeah, he so has done a lot of stuff with Batman. All right. Well, anyway, Fincher? so moving on. Fincher's next film. What, what was that? You think Fincher's done a lot of stuff with Batman? No, no. Uh, Tony. What was it? Oh, Baker. Okay. Tony Baker's gotcha. done a lot with Batman. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to Fincher's next film was Seven. Yeah, Seven is... I mean, I think Seven's one of the more probably beloved and iconic movies he has to offer, obviously. Um, I think I've always been somewhat lukewarm on it. Not that I think it's it's poor or anything by any means. I think um, that third act is really, really obviously good. There's a great twist. I think I, in general, have... Um, not as much love for movies that kind of rely on a twist. I think... I like rewatchability, um, and I think I like stories that can, you know, have that impact without the necessity of having that kind of um, action going on. So I think it's just not as strong for me for the large majority of the film. Um, I think a lot of what happens in the first two thirds is like pretty forgettable. Like I like the concept of. Um, you know, like this, the way they weave in the seven deadly sins and, you know, all the investigation. But to me, there's just not too much going on. Um, and I think it feels like almost a way less interesting Zodiac for a lot of it. Um, and I think 
Zodiac connects more for me because it was real. Uh, and I think the performances are better too. But yeah, how do you guys feel about about Seven in general? I really enjoyed Seven. I mean, it's one of my like favorite movies of all time, probably. I think I've only watched it like two or three times, but I think that's one of the things like I like about Fincher is I really enjoy twist endings. So I think that's where I differ from you, which I also think Fincher's like way of capturing you like for a lot of his movies where you just have to keep guessing for almost the whole time is what I really like. It's, um, but I mean, I like the whole seven deadly sins. I actually think the acting is pretty, pretty good in this. Um, besides maybe, is it Cameron Diaz? Am I right? No, Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm just never a big fan of her, really, in a lot. <laughs> She's a legit weirdo as well, in real life, so. Really? Oh, yeah, look into Goop, man. Her yeah, she sells some industry. interesting products, I've heard. She's a snake oil salesman. Like, that's, she's a snake oil salesman. She just sells bullshit okay. um, and lies about it. So, not a big Gwyneth Paltrow fan, but, um. Yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah, like, if they could have recast her, I think this could have been a lot better. Uh, Stone, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I guess I don't I don't care about Gwyneth Paltrow because she doesn't have that big of a role, you know? She, she's kind of there, but it's mostly just Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. I watched this for the first time. Uh, you know, so you can say you've never watched Aliens. I didn't watch a lot of these films for the first time. Um, yeah, Seven, I watched it for the first time this past month. And one thing I did like about it is that it kind of just, you don't have any room, like there's no breathing, like available. Like as soon as the movie starts, it it's going, you know, you're automatically on a case. It's not necessarily the Seven Deadly Sins case, but you're all, you're all, all of a sudden right into, you know, a killing with Morgan Freeman. I like how quickly it started. Um, I think there's the joke, I don't know if it's in David Fincher's movies, but, um, I think there's a joke that he always is, ha it's always raining all the time or something like that. And, uh, for a while, this city is unnamed the entire time. Like, oh, this corrupt city, you know, you know, seven deadly sins going on. And for a long time, I wanted to make a joke, um, that this was actually Lucius Fox. This is what he did. And this is Gotham. And that's why it's so corrupt and everything. <laughs> But um, one thing I didn't like was that I did like the movie. I think it's very, very solid, very solid movie. Um, I love the seven deadly sins aspect of it. And I'll tell you what, that one guy thought he was dead. Uh, the guy who was being starved and chained to the bed, mm -hmm. big jump scare. Did not, uh, did not think he was going to pop up. Uh, yeah, that got me really good. But I, I was so interested in the sins. And then I feel like they kind of, like the first, second, and third one, and then it kind of just like died down and didn't really care about, I can't really remember, you know, the situations of the killings for the fourth and the fifth one. I remember it's like at a, uh, like a strip club or something like that. But I was very interested in that. And I was disappointed that they weren't focused on as much because I found that truly fascinating. Like the first one, they spent so much time on that. And even the second one. And I feel like when you don't spend that time on it again, it kind of loses the mystery aspect of the story. Because you're trying to help them solve the mystery, with it, which is why Zodiac is so much more engaging for me. Because you truly feel like, because they have no idea what's going on, and they're constantly trying to solve it, you feel like you're right there with them. Like, you're trying to look for clues as it's going on. And I, I don't like that it kind of got away from that. And I will say this. The only thing I knew about this movie 
was the line, what's in the box? And if you know that line, then it ruins the movie for you. Because I was not, it wasn't a twist. Like, I was like, oh, oh I know exactly what's going to happen at the end. As soon as I, we were in, like, the last 30 minutes of it. But, yeah, really solid movie. Um, I think Brad and Morgan do a great job in it. Like I said, Gwyneth Paltrow, she's fine. She doesn't have that big of a role. But a huge step up from Alien 3, though. Like, this is, like, a classic movie. And that's super impressive for Fincher's filmography to have his second movie be that. I mean, that's truly astonishing. But, yeah. Yeah, and I think... I know we were talking about with the sins and whatnot. It kind of it not falls apart at the end, but I be, I think the sixth and seventh sin are his own, like Kevin Spacey's own sins, which to me it doesn't really fit because the sixth sin, someone else is suffering, someone else is losing their life because of his sin. That does not make sense. That that's not. Yeah, I got- I got confused at the end with that. So, like, for example, with, you know, the very first sin is gluttony, and it's an obese man, obviously, hitting the nail on the head. But the sixth murder is envy, and it's Kevin Spacey's envy of Brad Pitt's life, and he kills his wife. So it just, yeah. it's not a, it's not the same. And I, I understand yeah. it. It's fine. Um, but it just seems like very convoluted from the mind of the killer. Um, and granted, this person's obviously not going to be well-balanced and, you know, uh, all there mentally. But um, I think that doesn't lose me a little bit. It doesn't lose me fully, but I'm just kind of like, okay, like, this is convenient. Yeah, I had the same thought because his whole thing is, like, everyone that I'm killing, there's a reason why I'm killing them. They're not yeah. good people. And that didn't make sense because he's he's more doing it to Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt is not a good person, but he kills Gwyneth Paltrow, which she's fine. So yeah, I had a I had an issue with that as well. Yeah, I didn't think that landed as as well for me as it did for other people. I was a little uh yeah, I don't like that too much, but yeah. And then I think almost, uh, sorry, Connor, go ahead. I was gonna say it almost feels like this movie could maybe benefit from being twenty minutes longer, maybe. And then he could have changed up that six in like killing, and then like Stone was saying, like he could also you know spend more time with each killing, so it'd go a little more in depth. Yeah, um, yeah, because I mean the the finale makes sense um, in its own way. Like he's, but the, the the seventh murder is also built off the back of the sixth, so the seventh being pride. It's his own pride, but that only exists because of his actions in the sixth murder. So it's like, I, I don't know. Um, but again, it's a super difficult story to like tie together. There's a lot going on. It's really complex. Like, um, it's really impressive. But yeah, for me, this is kind of in the middle of his work. Um, it's, it's good, but um, not anywhere near his best, in my opinion. I want to say one thing that makes me frustrated. Um, is I was trying to look it up on Letterboxd, and I hate when movies do this, but the fact that you can't look up seven, you have to put the seven in between. Yeah. I hate films. <laughs> I just hate it, but I get why. Letterboxd there's actually is a lot, like a lot of movies. There's like a lot of movies that are named seven, so I guess it's a little bit different in that way, being named that, but... Letterboxd is great, but its search engine is awful. I also think, one other note, I would love to have seen Fincher make this like ten years later. Um... 
and like 10 years deeper into his career, I think uh, it could have been even better. And I think with some more work under his belt and, um, you know, the movies he makes when he really gets into his own and is really like dialed in, I think this just could have been something even better. And I would have been interested to see it later on. But like you said, this is coming after Alien 3. So it's a huge step up from that. Um, and he's a young director at this point. So it's still super impressive. I'm pretty sure this movie's in IMDb's top 250. Yeah. So Yeah, and I mean, most people would not argue that, so. Yeah, and to hit that list on your second film ever, pretty impressive. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love I love Morgan Freeman. I think he's uh, really, really good here, too. He's probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, outside of, like, the general atmosphere that he builds. Did you uh, see that... Uh recent clip of him that went viral from what uh basically it was just no one's seen him morgan freeman in a while he's just chilling he doesn't really act anymore that much and someone just videotaped him getting in his car and he looks old and they're like i did see that oh, he looks old I'm like he's fucking 86 of course he yeah. looks old <laughs> like chill out just let him get in his car crazy how yeah, that happens yeah aging is wild um he's in fact not benjamin button but um I think one thing with him is he looked so I feel like he looked the same basically for so long. Everyone maybe in their mind was just like, oh, he's not even aging. But like, and if you watch his older movies, it's, there's kind of a large chunk of time where he looks relatively similar. Um, and he's aged great. I mean, I think he looks awesome for his age. So I mean, hell, even his boot camp picture, he almost looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's like weird. He like, he looked older. Like he looked like he was 50 when he was probably like you know, 35, but then he looked 50 when he was like 75. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. good for him. Do you guys have any other thoughts on seven here? I think I'm all done. What do you think of Spacey as the villain? Which is kind of Spacey's role, but like, I feel like this he's, is one of his more like standout villain roles. He's Kevin Spacey. He yeah, I think he, he did, yeah, he did a good job. He's a good actor. I mean, you know, putting aside his, you know, what ha what's happened in his life? He's a really good actor, and I think he does a good job. He is very he's very memorable, and that's really impressive when he's only in the film for like twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is right in his wheelhouse. Like, I don't think he's doing anything. Like, I feel like it's it's like watching, like I, this is just off the top of my head, but it's like watching Barry Keoghan and Saltburn. and it's like he's not doing anything we haven't seen Barry Keoghan do. Like, it's not like oh my god, this is it's just like right in his wheelhouse. So, yeah, it's good. Well. No, I feel like American Beauty was right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, he's a he's an absolute absolute weirdo scumbag piece of shit. But yeah, that um, movie aged like sour milk. Yeah, I don't I don't even I never really enjoyed that movie very much, but especially now I'm just like even more out on it. But I mean, like yeah. it was a decent movie, but I don't get why it's in like everyone's like top 100 movies of all time. No, I should actually make a video about that, I feel like. But um, he's like he's acting again and stuff, which is interesting. Well, he was found um, not guilty, which... Yeah, after a witness was murdered. Yeah. <laughs> funny how that goes. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> what's next in terms of time? Uh, we got The Game, 1997. I I really, really like the game. Um, 
And this is one that has steadily moved up for me the more I've watched it. Um, I think it's really, really, really funny. Uh, like, I think it's a great kind of, like, dark comedy. Um, and I think that's kind of my favorite thing about it. Uh, and it's very, it's very unique. Like, I think it really stands out in a way from a lot of what he's done. Um, and I think Michael Douglas is excellent. So I, I really, really like this movie. How do you feel, Stone? Um, it's all right. Um, in my opinion, it's thinking back on it. Because I watched it for the first time in November. There's just the, the most interesting part about it is the game and what's going on, and you know all the actors and everything like that. But when I think back on it, there's not maybe a single scene that sticks out to me really. Uh, Michael Douglas does, but then. I don't get the ending per se. I don't understand. I don't like the fact that they wanted him to commit suicide. <laughs> and they're like, see, buddy, like, you know, I don't know. It changed his life around because he tried to commit suicide and his family did that to him. It's very mess. I mean, I guess it is a dark comedy, like you said, but um, like I said, it's, it's good. It's like solid, but there was nothing to it that kind of stood out to me besides the actual concept of the movie itself. But I think it was, it's very solid. It's not at the level of seven. There's a lot more memorable scenes in seven. I mean, then I guess that makes sense. But yeah, I think it's a solid movie, but it's not one of my favorites of his. Yeah, I think, I, I think the ending is pretty memorable. Like, I think that scene is excellent. And I think, He's someone that has, he's so, so selfish and so just wrapped up in himself. And like, he's, it's, I mean, I think a lot of it is really funny, just how much of an asshole he is and just like completely in his own world. And I think the, one of the funniest things about it is his, like, you see his narcissism on display throughout the movie, how he thinks every little thing that happens He's like, oh, this is, it's the game. Like, it's, it's, it's about me. Like, ev like, I think that little subtlety is so, so funny. Um, and just, you know, sometimes he might be right, but other people are just like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just like, going about my life. It's not about you. Like, nothing to do with you. Um, and I think, yeah, I just, I find that very, very funny in terms of just like how out of touch some people can be. Um, and then kind of like why he's like that. Um, I like it going into his backstory, you know, with his father and like, you kind of see like how he becomes the person he is. Um, and then also how his brother becomes the person he is. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's really, really interesting. I like, I feel like it genuinely keeps you guessing pretty well. Um, I think a lot of stuff like this feels pretty predictable and i don't think this does it takes a lot of twists and turns that are like genuine um and the quality doesn't fall apart as a result of them so i really like this one um probably more than most people i think i will say at the end it got me like i could not i was like is it over or are we still going like at the end they were getting me pretty good but uh one thing i didn't like is that um at the end it's like five minutes after everything is all over and he's like 
Hi, you want to go on a date and like stuff like that? I'm like, dude, your life has been fucked over like for months now. And you're just like, ah, you know, just played a little prank on me. I love life now. It's like he, he changed his, I would, you would be traumatized if that really happened to you. I don't know if it's because of the character and who he is that he's not, but I thought he was very, you know, he was like, ah, you know, they're just my family kind of too easily. I would say as a counterpoint to that, I think one thing it showed him was this is someone that probably has lacked any type of genuine connection for a large portion of their life and has been such a narcissist, just piece of shit that they probably haven't even really looked for that. And I think he had a moment of like realizing like I might have actually connected with this person through this ridiculous series of events. And I think it's kind of like a light bulb clicked in his head, like, you know, that meant something to me. And, you know, I think he just kind of saw that in that moment that like that she might just be gone forever. So like, I don't think that was that unbelievable just because I think it might've felt like something different or fresh for him. I think this might get, this might get better on rewatch. Cause I think I was just so maybe fascinated with what was going on that I missed parts of his character, you know, and stuff like that. Um, But Connor, have you watched, is this one of the ones you haven't watched? Yeah. I haven't seen this one yet. Honestly, when we get off of here and I'm editing this, I might, throw that on and watch it or just watch it tonight depends on how good the monday night football game is yeah i was gonna say uh i wanted to bring it up on here Ter- uh love y'all but terrible time to have a david fincher uh uh ranking or podcast because none of these are on like any streaming services right now <laughs> i think i watched right, the game the- i think i watched the game i'm like uh fur fubo yeah, it's too, I think it's I think it's Tubi, but it might have been Fubo. Yeah, it's, it's think, a free one with ads. Yeah, and I think I watched hey. seven. I watched seven on Pluto TV, and then hey, I bought. We got like the killer on Netflix. Bucks, but we got the yeah. killer on Netflix. The Social Network on Netflix. I think Fight Club's on Prime. Maybe I had to rent Fight Club, so it might be on Prime now. But I had to rent Fight Club. I had to rent Fight Club. No, um, Panic Room, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, Maybe that was it, but yeah. But if I could say yeah, one I more thing, no. just one more thing quickly about the game. I think, um, and Connor, this is just for you too, like watching it, it does feel like a little bit long. Like there are parts that I think I feel a little repetitive, and I was like, okay, we get it. Um, like keep it moving. Like I think it felt like it dragged out a little bit at parts. I still like it a lot, but I think if I could change one thing, I, uh, it would be the, the pacing. I think that is the danger with any Fincher film, though, is they are almost all three hours long. Or a lot of them are. I shouldn't say almost all, but... He, I, mean, he, he, I think, sometimes gets caught up in the story and caught up in what he's doing and just, like, wants to add in small sections to, like, reinforce different things. Um, and some movies, I think, are definitely guilty of it, more guilty of it than others. Um, but there's probably only one that's over two and a half hours that I wouldn't shorten. So he definitely, think, he definitely can get a little long. I, I, I love the, the killer more than I think about it, but that is one thing about the killer that he did. Well, I don't think it's too long. I think it ends perfectly. It's only like an hour and 45 minutes. I think I don't think it's long at all. Yeah. The killer is really, it's kind of its own beast. I think for him, um, I'm looking forward to talking about that, but uh, yeah, yeah, this one, this one gets it goes a little long, and like that, 
holds me back from like really putting this like near the top of my list, honestly. Yeah. I want to shout it out. I talked about Dan or I talked to Dan about this, but have you ever watched Connor the show Jury Duty? No. Very similar to the game. And it's a very good show on on Amazon Prime. You should check it out. Um, it was nominated for best TV show at the Emmys that's gonna hand out awards this year. But basically uh, this guy just goes uh, to a jury. Uh, he signs up. It's a jury documentary, and he knows this that the cameras are going to be on him, and he's just going to see a case. But every single person that he comes into contact with for two weeks is an actor, and they are purposely okay. they're purposely making the show or the jury and the case very weird, and the people who are on the jury very weird. And they do this thing. James Marsden, actor James Marsden, is a producer on the show. So what they do is James Marsden is part of the jury, and he plays himself, which is very funny. And what they do is they fake a paparazzi coming to take a picture of James Marsden. So because of that, they do something which is real, I believe, is they isolate the jury. That way there's no outer influence on the case. So that's why they're able to get this real life man in this situation, um, isolating by himself with these jury members who are all actors who he thinks are real people. And it's very, it's, it's very film uh, similarly, similarly to The Office. Like everyone's doing interviews kind of thing. And the thing that's incredible is the guy is such a nice man. They purposely did things to try to annoy him. And he's such a nice human being. And Amazon actually came out maybe a week ago, made him a deal, like a TV. And he might be more TV shows and films and everything. And they want to partner with this guy who is a normal person who they did all this to. It's a fantastic show. I don't watch shows, but it was it. You can't like stop watching it. It's, it's incredible. But okay, it's okay. very similar to the game with all actors and everything like that. It's very similar, which is why I brought it up. But I suck at watching TV shows. Like I've still never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, The Sopranos. I've never finished Breaking Bad. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, starting Breaking Bad and not finishing it is wild, wild behavior. I've tried three times. <laughs> um, one one last thing, and again, not to like I literally just watched Saltburn yesterday, so I think. I'm just thinking about like rich people and stuff. But one thing that kind of ties with the game, I think one of the best things Saltburn did was just like highlight the boredom of in, obscene wealth sometimes. And I think another interesting part of this is like he's just so damn bored. Because a lot of the things, a lot of people would be like, why would he agree to this? You don't know what you're doing. Like he just wants something to like happen in his life. He's just like, ah, why not? Like, and I think, you know, we might think of someone who has everything as like, you know, they're just loving life. It's great. But like, he's so lonely. Like his house is huge. He's just like there by himself. Like his existence is so pathetic. And like, he just wants something, even if it's something awful to like, uh, you know, spice things up. Um, it sounds like Batman's origin story. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a funny comparison, but it is like, he is similar-ish to like a Bruce Wayne type, I guess, in the loneliness and like wealth. Um, but Bruce, I guess, chooses to, you know, put his time towards like helping other people rather than just existing in like vapidness. So yeah, yeah, um, that's another thing I like about the movie, just like highlighting that boredom. I think it's funny. All right. Well, next up we have. Probably his most iconic movie with Fight Club. Someone else can start on this. Oh, it sounds like Dan doesn't like Fight Club. I don't know. I think I watched because supposedly there's people out there who really like Dan's ranking. I've heard. 
Um, I think you had it like four. So who knows? It could be at number one now, or it could be at number eight. Um, it's so funny because I went in the Fight Club. And this was my second time I watched it. So I haven't watched it in a really long time. Watched it again last month. And I went into the film not like everyone loves it. That's the thing. A lot of people do. Right. And I went into the film not. I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, it's, it, it's really good. But I do really like it a lot. And I think it's very similar to the reason why um, I love another movie um, of his that comes out. We'll talk about it later. The Social Network is because I think every aspect of the movie is the same tonally. Like, I think the music in Social Network works with the cinematography and the actors and everything like that works perfectly. I think that's very similar to Fight Club. The way the actors are performing, the way the cinematography is, the way the music is, the where it's the setting, everything is working very perfectly together. And the story is extremely interesting. People, <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who take the wrong message out of this story, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but I want to say one thing, too, that matches the the tone of the movie where i think it doesn't in another david fincher movie is there's this thing he does and i watched panic room recently where he kind of does these shots where it's all cgi and like the camera is like zooming and like a panic room he like does these shots where it's like the floor is see-through and you can see what's going on and for panic room that really didn't work but he does very similar things in fight club and it really works in fight club i think and matches the entire feel of the movie but I really liked Fight Club a lot. I think it's a very good movie. Um, I don't know about rewatches, though. That's the only thing with movies like this with giant twist endings. Is is it still as good on rewatch kind of thing? So, but what do you guys think? I'm a big fan of Fight Club, but I also am under the impression... I think it's one of the most like overhyped movies of all time with a very strange cult following. Like... I, I really enjoy the movie for what it is, and I enjoy a lot of the quotes out of it. The acting, like you said, the uh, music matches perfectly, in my opinion. Uh, it also gives us the greatest actor to step foot in Hollywood, Jared Leto. Stop it. I'm not taking a bait. I'll get you one of these times. Yeah. Jared Leto's a... Uh... He's great in Panic Room. I really enjoyed his arc there. It's a good arc. Uh, well, that was my review of uh, of Panic Room is the fact that it's very hilarious that David Fincher abuses Jared Leto in both of the films that he appears in. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah. David Fincher was on to something, I think. <laughs> no, but I don't know. Like I said, I really like Fight Club, and it's towards the top of my rankings, but like part of me doesn't want it to be as high as it is just because of the cult following this movie has. Like fans of this movie swear it's the greatest thing to touch cinema ever. And I mean, I forget what I rated it, but I have it four out of five stars because I don't know if I've given it on my ten point scale yet. I don't think it's a five out of five movie or anywhere close. Yeah, um, Stone, something funny, I, we're, you're sitting outside of Starbucks. Fincher put uh, Starbucks cups all around. Like, they're in a lot of different shots as, like, a little subtle jab at, like, consumerism and just, like, I guess kind of the grind set lifestyle. Um, I think that's a funny, funny touch. But uh, 
and the the logo itself is like in the background of like almost every scene i think somewhere so that's kind of a funny funny little thing he did but um yeah i think i think every time i watch fight club i am wondering what i'm supposed to take away um because i think it presents you with two sides of a coin and they're both awful but i think uh that is also very much david fincher's view on humanity i don't think he likes people um i don't think he likes people at all i think he thinks people are terrible um i think he likes talking about people at their most base whether that be like violence or some kind of like depraved sexuality or like just treating each other poorly i think that's where he likes to live and that's where he does his best work um and to me this is kind of like you know on one hand you have edward norton and everyone else like him who he just presents as like you know kind of a sheep um and not super masculine uh focused on their appearance and how like they look to the other people around them um similar to uh i feel like it's similar to american psycho in that it's just so concerned with appearance obviously those are that's more like yuppie new york city like uppity culture but like it's the same thing just on a different economic class um but just like wanting to have this and that so like your neighbor thinks you're you know you're doing well whatever like just all about appearance um but in reality you're just kind of like going through existence and doing nothing until you die but then he kind of puts out the opposite of this as tyler durden which is like hyper masculine um doing whatever you want saying whatever you want being with you know whoever you want to be with like just doing everything like that your most base self would want to do um but what's ironic i guess is that the people that follow him are just as much sheep as <laughs> edward norton's character um and you're no different so if neither of those things are good um and in reality what's worse is durden because he's ultimately committing terrorism and like brainwashing people so what again are we supposed to be taking away in terms of how to live or how to be um and i don't think fincher really necessarily has an answer to that i don't think the movie has to answer that but it's just kind of a very dark outlook on i guess being a man um because i think there's there's a middle ground there uh that the movie kind of ignores so well not nearly as dark but it's kind of the same with wolf of wall street you know like people you know want to be like that guy even though he's a real piece of shit yeah like, i mean it's 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 every you know 14 year old sigma male edit on tiktok with fucking you know the wolf of wall street and american psycho and fight club and achilles and like all these just like massively flawed characters that are like basically satirical i mean <laughs> like, even iron man or tony stark as a character like you could say the same except he actually had a good ending you know like so yeah, because he is the one exception with an arc like yeah yeah um, yeah i hear what you're saying like that's a good point it's a good point i mean i i have it at five out of five stars just because it's more 
I get what you're saying though. Cause that like kind of changes my opinion a little bit because there's like two big messages going on. He kind of doesn't decide what he wants to highlight. They're kind of just both there. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's just like consumerism sheep and then yeah. like nihilistic fascist sheep. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess, I guess why I love it so much is just because that I do. I think the entire filmmaking itself is incredible. And that might be the one part of the entire movie that I think just, because you can you can say, hey, it's open for your own interpretation. What you want to take out of it, exactly. yes, yes, right. But I know that Fincher, I believe, has come out and that whole angle of people saying, you know, down with consumerism and all this stuff. He's like, no, that's not the message because he doesn't want people to take that out of this. I believe he's come out and said, I don't know why, you know, that's not the point of the story. But you don't say that in the film, so it's not surprising that people take that out of it. Yeah, and the thing is, the danger in making characters like Tyler Durden, um, and this is like this is my problem with the Clockwork Orange. Like, this is my problem with a lot of movies. Is like when the best parts of those movies are the technical aspects and the shots and the memorable, like the way you shoot characters. Like, you can glorify them without saying that. Like, you can glorify them through the way you shoot them. And, like, subconsciously, you know, and just the fact that you're casting, you know, Brad Pitt at 4.5% body fat looking like a mod, like, just having him playing this character, like, you're glorifying something about him and you're making him, like, an idealistic character, even if you're not saying, like, that's the intention. So I think there's a danger there. Uh, and you have to be careful as a director with... The decisions you try to decide to make artistically because they can contradict the messaging of the movie so um that's kind of how i feel about that i know uh matt damon was in talks to either be tyler or oh what's his name i think they, they they've come out and said that his name is jack oh really i think yeah i think that is a thing that his name is actually jack um i remember doing that in my research but i know that Edward Norton and Matt Damon were up for a lot of the same roles, I believe. And I think Edward Norton was in the running for getting the talented Mr. Ripley. And that went to Damon. So Norton did this instead. And Norton is a, I haven't seen a lot of films with Norton in it, but he's a phenomenal actor and whatever I see him in. But I know that he's also, especially with this film, I know he's very difficult on set and he likes to take charge of things a lot. Um, but, but yeah, I think he, yeah, Matt Damon was in the running, but I think they're both pretty perfectly casted to be honest, because um, Tyler Durden is such a glorified character and you want to be like Tyler Durden, all right? This is the, you know, even though Fincher says um, that's not the point of the story, but, I mean, you casted, like, the hottest actor in Hollywood and all the guys want to be like Brad Pitt in this movie. That's on purpose. And then I don't think Matt Damon would have worked for Edward Norton's part because he's supposed to be, you know, a little scrawny guy. Nobody wants to be Edward Norton. And he th I think he fits that really well. Best scene in the film by far to me is the scene where he's beating himself up. Perfect. It's, it's, it's I, that's my favorite scene in the whole movie, I would say, um, the office scene. But um, one interesting uh, uh, fact I found out about the movie is there's a very iconic line where I believe, um, what, what do you think about Helen, Helen, I, I forgot her middle name. Carter. How do you like her in this movie? Do you think she fits it? I do. Yeah, I mean, I think David Fincher's general relationship with women in his movies is very uh, interesting. 
um and like that that could be a uh video or that could be a podcast episode of its own um because there's a lot to break down there but i think she's perfect i mean she's one of the best actresses of our generation i, I mean i i actually normally just say act one of the best actors of our generation um and i, I think, think she fits the feel of the movie really well yeah like like i said i think she's she's perfectly casted too for like this edginess this tone that is in the entire movie you might know the line better than me what's the line she says about eighth grade in pregnancy Oh. Yeah, they they changed that, didn't they? So original, I can't remember what it is. It's like this: is the best sex I've had since eighth grade is maybe what she says. Yeah, I think it was originally supposed to be something related to abortion. Yeah. Or so what happened? What happened is he gave the script, I think, to the the the, the company or whoever you know made the film, and it said, "I the the line originally said, I want to have your next abortion. I want you to I want you to make my next abortion or something like that." Yeah. And they didn't like that. And they said, Fincher, you got to take that out. And he was like, okay, cool. But whatever I replace it with, you ha- it has to be fine. And they're like, all right, cool. So that's what he replaced the line with. Yeah. So pretty interesting there. That was funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think she's excellent. Um, and then Meatloaf. I never listened to Meatloaf, but I know he's the guy with the big old tits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very strange, like, I also think... A lot, a lot of the second half, I feel like, isn't as good. Like, I feel like once he's kind of involved in, like, the true cultiness of it, and you kind of see, like, what it's actually about, I'm kind of just like, okay, like, waiting for it to end. Obviously, the ending is is iconic, but, um, yeah, I think I... There's periods of this where I'm kind of just, like, not that invested. One thing that always annoys me about the end is how he shoots himself in the mouth. And then he's up and talking like two minutes later. Like, you can get you can get shot in the face and just kind of eat it. Honestly, that's quite literally what he did. Actually, was eat it. It yeah, it happens. Like people survive crazy well, shit. No, and I'm not saying he should die from that. But the fact that he's up and just having full conversations like normal, like what, yeah. thirty seconds, like that's the part that bothers me. I think there's a lot of suspension of disbelief and like surrealism in the movie, which like you just kind of have to go with, but. I hear what you're saying. One thing I find interesting, and it's funny that they didn't show it very often, is the funny scene that, if you think about it, really is hilarious, is the fact that the fact when he's beating himself up outside of the bar or whatever, and they only show that for a couple seconds because I don't feel like he would get a cult following of men just from beating himself up. And these guys are like, oh, what's this guy on? Let me go approach him and see what he's doing. I'd be like, that's a fucking weirdo. I gotta stay away from him. (laughs) I mean... I mean, that's maybe men were different back then, but I would be, they don't show that very much because I feel like you can only do so much with that <laughs> before yeah. it becomes very comical. I definitely feel like all cult followings start from like a self-help guru that failed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's a fitting movie for Jared Leto to be in, given all the cult uh, connections. But um, also David Fincher makes an appearance in this movie. Which is funny. He's like a convenience store clerk. And he like sells Tyler Durden uh, the gun when he goes. That's that's Fincher. Uh, oh, cool! Funny. I didn't know that. I never picked up on that. Yeah, no, yeah I've only seen this movie like a handful of times, but not yeah. even. <laughs> I w- I wanted to uh, say this uh, to you, Dan, but um, I know it's not about Fincher, but with your thoughts about Jared Leto, you'll really like that new film, May December. At a lot. 
does it, it, it reminded me of him in certain aspects. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, and I think maybe just one more thought on this is, uh, I think it's also another interesting kind of reflection on boredom as well. Like we just talked about the game, but like, I think people are, there's a lot of people that just maybe are looking for like something in life. And we we're just talking about like beating yourself up. Like how is that interesting? But like, maybe that's more interesting than just being nothing or doing nothing. Um, it makes me think of there was this experiment that was done, I think relatively recently where they had a bunch of people in a room um, and basically they gave them the option to do nothing or hit a button that would electrocute them slightly. And a large percentage of people chose to electrocute themselves at over the stretch of doing nothing. And some people did it multiple times. And I think, I think about that experiment a lot in relation to movies. Cause I think like, the idea of like people's just fear of boredom and fear of like just doing and being nothing is like so oppressive sometimes. Um, so people might, you know, someone beating themselves up might be more interesting than just kind of existing in your regular day to day after 15 years. I've never gone that far, but if I was in a room with just a button, I knew it would electrocute me. I'd probably press it a few times. <laughs> I, I, would, I would press it. <laughs> yeah, my ADHD brain would just be like, yeah <laughs> it's the same thing with wanting to get, i mean in, in college i had my buddy bought a taser and he just tased our, our roommate because it's like what does it truly feel like i want to like you know i want to feel yeah. something <laughs> it is funny that like thinking about this movie though like when i was in the marine corps and like if we were had like nothing to do at work we would just start wrestling like yeah. out of pure boredom <laughs> yeah i think that's like very natural just like human behavior um but i think like people like Again, Fincher loves just like looking at people, and again, I don't think he thinks very highly of them, um, especially women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that argument could be made, um, but really, anyone. Uh, Amy Dunn's such a good person, though. Yeah, she's one of the best female antagonists of all time. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, I, Rosamund Pike, man, like. Again, I, I, I'm not going to mention Saltburn in every movie we talk about David Fincher, but she was probably the best part of that movie for me. She's so... Yeah, she's really good, good in it. Um, yeah. She's, still, but, she's really attractive still, too. I mean, that's been, what, it's been 10 years since um, Gone Girl, and she really hasn't missed a beat. She looks great, yeah. She's, yeah. she's incredible. Um, hilarious, but, hilarious in that movie. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Fincher does not like humans very much, but uh, it is what it is. You might be able uh, to say the same about uh, Ari Aster. Yeah. I was going to say something's cool that I feel like Fincher does that not a lot of directors do. And I think Fight Club fits into this mold. He really puts a lot of time into his title cards. Like, Dude, yes. Yeah. I mean, The Killer had a really sick one. And then probably his best one, in my opinion, from all the ones I watched, is the opening sequence for Girl um, of the Dragon. That too is incredible. Very bond. Yes. It's incredible to look at. Um, yeah, so and the I game, think that's the a game too is like doing all that crazy stuff in the in the oh, yeah. like mm -hmm. yeah he's I mean he's he is detail oriented to the max like there's nothing phoned in um, usually uh, so yeah that's a good call yeah I mean Fincher is still probably one of my favorite directors I do like twist endings like I mentioned earlier but like Dan said you know how much rewatchability does this give movies like of his. 
Because, like, one of yep. the examples, to, like, to where I think it's better is, like, Tarantino in Pulp Fiction. Like, I know your thoughts on Pulp Fiction. But, like, the briefcase, you know? Like, it kind of keeps you wondering. And then just he leaves it up for speculation. So, I mean, different ways to hold audiences' attention. Or Pulp Fiction, you know, would probably hold any TikTok generation's attention. Yeah, because it's constantly hitting you with, like, imagery, action, sharp dialogue. Like, it's a modern movie from 95, whatever, 94, 6. Um, 94. I'm not a, yeah, I'm not in love with it as much as other people are, but that's very true. I watched that for the first time recently, too. And I was like, why do I like this more? I, I'm supposed to say this is like a 15 out of 10 movie. But I will say, though, the dialogue is incredible. Tarantino's dialogue is always incredible. I feel like a lot of people forget the fact that he's always like, I'm going to do 10 films and that it, that's it. Is These films take so much time for him because he writes them all, too, and directs them, rather than other directors who are able just to bust them out. Scorsese, Fincher, they really don't write any of their films, where he has to take so much time and preparation with his. So no, well, no wonder it takes so much out of him. What's crazy, too, is he said he was writing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for, like, 16 years or something, just because, like, he would write some, put it aside for however long, think of something else to put in it, come back, like... People people like to bash on Quentin Tarantino because they think it's, like, cool or he's just, like, too mean. Like, that's just so ridiculous. Like, just shut up. Like, he's so talented and, like, the stuff he's written is so good. And, like, the amount of work he's put in and the amount of time he's put into just, like, building an understanding of, like, the craft and, like, taking in movies from all around the world and, like, developing actual respect for, like, the history of filmmaking. Like... He's a one in a million human being, and people are just like, "Oh, it's just like, like people just brush him aside." It's so it's so whack. I think. Um, I mean, he's one of the, what like three directors ever to not have a miss in his filmography yet. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely like the term "miss." Like Fincher definitely does. Well, yeah, like you and guys like, were saying, Alien Three was like you know bad. Yeah, and I think like I mean to me, I mean we'll get into like rank, but like Mank is just not it for me um and i think he would say the same thing himself uh but anyway yeah like tarantino he's not just ever putting out bullshit like it's it's he's established a brand and he's making sure everything he makes is like fitting that brand and it's going to be like appealing to his fans like he cares about making stuff for his fan base so i will say i'm I'm disappointed the fact of i'm not surprised but what his last film is going to be about the film critic yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised that he's making that because he's, you know, it's if it is his last film, he's trying to run and get all the awards he can. And the Oscars just love move, movies about, you know, Hollywood and everything. But I hate the fact that he just did that and now he's doing it again. I, wish it were not, the, I don't blame him. I wish it was the the Kill Bill 3, that idea that yeah. he had. Like, that could have been... That'd be a great way to cap off his career, too, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was reading that he... Uh, he kind of wanted that to be like his fistful of dollars trilogy, like for himself. Um, and I kind of wish that had been a thing, but it's obviously not going to happen. Um, but yeah, we're getting off off track here yeah. with Tarantino. Yep. Talk. All right, back to you two. Uh, the next film on our list is Panic Room. Uh, I can start Stone. I I like Panic Room a lot. Um, I think it's very simple, um, and I like that. I think this is maybe one of his better 
female characters, even though she still like is flawed and you know, but she's flawed, I guess, in a way that most of the people he writes are, regardless of gender. Um, and but you know, she still like is interesting to me. Um, and she like takes control of the situation and like does a lot of stuff proactively that I think is really interesting. I like this feels like a almost like a stage play. It's so contained. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of this quality of the movie rests on the back of the performances. There's not much else there. It's just in the home. I also think like his the camera work here is so cool. Like I love it. Like I love um I honestly you love like a those lot see through of things. Like the see-through floors, you know what I'm saying? Like about his like CGI shots that he does yeah. and everything like that. I I kind of like it. I think he. I I also like a lot of this movie before they even enter, like before the home invaders even get in the house. I think the way they like create this house into this like almost like living, breathing thing, where it's like so like it's this like big empty space and it's like all the shots moving around, like the way the camera's gliding around and like, you kind of take in just like all the emptiness. Um, and I think for, it's interesting, especially for a character that's like really struggling and going through a different difficult period of time. I think it kind of puts you in her mind and like how alone, um, you know, like separation from your spouse can be like something like that. Like that might be reaching, but like, the feeling of loneliness and then like, even her like her bed is just this tiny thing in the center of this like huge room and like she's just there um i think a lot of that stuff i really appreciate and um i like her performance and like forrest whitaker is excellent usually yeah. um he's the best part of the movie for me even above jodie foster and kristen stewart yeah and i like i mean I like nuance a lot of the time. Like I like characters that aren't just, they could have made him just like another bad guy. It could have just been three Jared Leto's or two Jared Leto's. Like I love the juxtaposition of the different types of criminals. Like you have the legit psychopath, um, the third guy, you have the like kind of slimy in the middle, like, you know, might do something really out of pocket, but like, it's just really trying to get something easy guy in Jared Leto. And then you have the person who like is doing the wrong things, maybe for the right reasons, like genuinely doesn't want to hurt anyone, but like probably doesn't know what else to do. And I think looking at them, um, it kind of gives you like a uh, slice of like three different types of criminals. I think that's really interesting. Like Fincher loves, I think, criminals and crime and like evil and it, like looking into that like we keep talking about um and i like that you kind of get a sense of you know different types of that i'm repeating myself sorry but uh yeah i think this is really cool um i think it keeps you on the edge of your seat um and i like the whole like diabetic aspect with kristen stewart like that that gives like a sense of urgency to the plot in like a real believable way. Um, I think it's well done. Like, I think it's a lot better than many things that are like it. So um, yeah, I really like this one. It's interesting because I'm, I, I say you, you know, break down films really well and, you know, sway my opinion a lot, but 
when I first watched it, I think it's com- maybe in comparison to all of other his other filmography. I just don't think any, there's anything really special about it. You know, I feel like it is a, you know, it's an invasion movie. He wanted to do that type of film. But, you know, the whole thing with the aspect of, you know, the criminals and everything like that, are there better criminals in another home invasion movie that are better than these three guys? And there, the one thing that really frustrated me and that I couldn't overlook is there's points because they have cameras in there, right? There's points where the three dudes aren't next to them and they can leave if they want to, but they don't, they don't think of that. And then there's other points where they're like, oh, the three guys are not, they were like all downstairs at one point. And I was like, okay, you guys can get out if you want. And then another, and then a few moments later, they're like, oh, they're not here. Let's try to get out of this thing. So that was something that I kind of couldn't overlook. And maybe I'm not thinking of something because that doesn't really sound like something Fincher would do. But there were, with home invasion movies, right? You have to think of so many different scenarios that, you know, can make it exciting because it is a one place. And the only things that I can really think of is the fact, I guess what makes it exciting is the fact that the three guys are so differently and they're kind of like tearing themselves apart. Right. But I mean, I think of the, the propane tank and then obviously the thing with the diabetes, which I, um, I like that rather than other movies with poor writing, they didn't ever say that she had diabetes. They, there's a scene where she opens the fridge and then you can see the insulin bottles there. And I thought that right was off the bat. right off the right. bat. I love that. Yeah. It's so easy. Like, and you don't have to be like, Oh, how's your diabetes feeling today? Like, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, That's, every, um, every movie now does shit like that. I'm just like, you can just, well, the audience is not brain dead. Like the audience right. can perceive things. The audience has eyes. Like we are aware, like you don't have to lay everything out. Like, so just blatantly so yeah I, I like stuff like that too yeah it reminds me of that star wars video i sent to you that you watched yeah the fact that you know make yeah your audience has brains and you don't have to explain everything to them but yeah. it's really funny because my wife has type 1 diabetes so a lot of times in films with poor writing they don't get the the my blood sugar is going low right or my blood sugar is low i need my insulin Right, they would make that mistake. That's not what you do. And I, I don't know why. I was like, oh, are they going to make a mistake here, kind of thing? Because they show the insulin bottles, and then her, um, they show insulin bottles, and her blood sugar starts going low. And that's the only way they hint at anything of her having diabetes. So for some reason, I thought, okay, and and I knew her blood sugar was going low. Are they like, oh, we need to get to the fridge? But no, they do the smart thing. It's like you need to eat something, kind of. Or no, they actually have an injection of like probably glucose or something, a glucagon, something like that. But um, but yeah, really, that was good that they, I mean, it's Fincher, so he's not gonna, it's gonna be a good writing in the film. But, um, but yeah, I thought it was fine. I don't think it did anything special. And I think that it's kind of terrible that I'm looking at it this way, but I think compared to his other films, this is just basic, you know, and it, I don't really get anything out of it. And I really do like Jodie, Jodie Foster too. And Kristen Stewart does a great job, but it's just compared to his other filmography, it's just fine. So. Yeah, and I think this is a definitely like, and for I mean, I'll give this away for reference. I have this at eight out of twelve. Um, so like, I it's not like groundbreaking, but I think it's better than a few other things he's done. Um, and I I appreciate it for exactly what it is. But I think if you stick this in the filmography of a lot of other people, you might be like, wow, this is some of the best work they've done. Which is more of a testament to Fincher himself than um, a detraction from this movie. So yeah, but. Um, 
And yeah, I think really quickly I'll say in terms of what you were saying about, um, you know, why didn't they do this or that? I think there is a certain element of like the paralyzing fear of that situation, especially just when your child is there, um, you know, you don't have a weapon, like you're just really on your own. Um, I think that's, there's a legitimate, and also like, there's not really anywhere to go, like, because they were controlling the whole ground floor. Um, yeah. So I think there is a certain element of like paralysis that would probably take over most people. Um, especially when you're concerned about your kid um, and not just on your own. But yeah, there's probably not much else to say about this, but it's, I think it's good for what it is. Yeah. It's a, like you said, it's a simple movie. There's not much to say, which I yep. wish there was more, but he just wanted to make this style of movie. So there, yep. you can only do so much. Yep. I'm with you. All right. Well, next up we have Zodiac. You want to start Connor? We've been talking a lot. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, what's funny, and this is a net tack on my uh, knowledge, I started this movie and I was maybe 45 minutes in and my wife walked into the room and she's like, oh, you're watching uh, the movie kind of about the Zodiac Killer? And I didn't realize that's what I was watching, so I started it over. <laughs> Wait, so what did you think you were watching? I don't, dude. Half of these movies I went into not knowing a thing about. Like, I had no idea what the girl with the dragon tattoo was about. Like my wife, I didn't either. I didn't either. That that was. I love going into movies and not knowing a thing they're about. Yeah, I, yeah same thing. Well, and the, like, and I think I mentioned that to Dan on like our first episode ever together. That like I love not knowing a lot about movies. Like I missed every single trailer for Across the Spider Verse, so nothing would be spoiled for me. So like, I mean, Gone Girl, my wife showed me when we first started dating. I knew nothing about it, so. I don't know. I was just going to let it ride. See what it was about. But once I learned that, I was like, I should probably start this over. Because this will probably be something I should pay attention to a little more. And the first time I ever watched it, I literally just clicked it. Because I uh, saw Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. Yeah. I mean, he's really good in this. I think it's one of my favorite. Now, I know, Connor, you absolutely love Jake. Um, yeah. And I, I like him a lot. I think this is one of my favorite things he's done. Um, and this movie, like, was really, in, in classic Fincher style, was really meticulous in terms of how accurate it was about what actually happened. And I think for a lot of people, that leads itself to um, frustration and, you know, feeling like a lack of satisfaction. And I love that because that is exactly, like, imagine being a detective or a reporter or an investigative journalist, whatever, like working on this and not getting answers and putting like pouring, um, you know, a large period of time into this and just feeling like so distraught about like not having an understanding of what really happened. Like that is how they felt. And I think like the audience feeling the exact same way is so brilliant. Um, I really, really enjoy that. Um, and I think, like, if you're going to make something like this, like, you have to be um, respectful to everything that happened. You have to be respectful to every aspect of the investigation and the victims and just everything. And I think so many times, like, I have kind of a pet peeve with, for example, that Dahmer series that came out on Netflix. Like, that's a joke to me. Like, that is so, that to me felt so, like, exploitative. Um, like. You should, uh, that's a whole other conversation, I guess, but like, 
the way that was done and like a way a lot a lot of true crime stuff is done is so distasteful and like kind of embarrassing frankly um but again i think the way this was done in terms of just like factual accurate um frustrating it just felt very real and uh respectful yeah i mean i think one of the better aspects of this movie is uh rdj's character kind of like going crazy because he's just been on this case for so long and nothing is kind of piecing itself together like yeah and i think i think that's one thing that they uh i think exaggerated a bit for the movie like his kind of probably yeah but it does make it like not every person people are going to have different reactions to a situation like this and different ways of handling a period of like frustration especially when like you're pouring all your time into something so i think it was good to have you know kind of a different um representation of like that struggle and like the effect that can have on someone's psyche um so i i, I do agree with you there even though that was changed a little bit yeah this movie gets drugged down a lot for me though am i like i mean i shouldn't say a lot but i just don't think mark ruffalo is a good actor Oof. A lot of people that, yeah, I was saying, I remember you talking about that on a live. You're like, why do, why do people not like Mark Ruffalo? I would say, though, I think he fits uh, seeing trailers and everything for poor things. I think he fits Yorgos Lanthimos' style perfectly. He seems perfect for that film. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's definitely pretty niche. Uh, but I, I agree. I think he'll, he'll fit well. Um, but I, we were talking about it, um, Connor, with I think we talked about this with Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, how he kind of stands out like a sore thumb in that as just yeah. like, get this guy off the screen. I mean, he was yeah. very young. But um, yeah, I think he needs the right movie. I really like him in Foxcatcher a lot. Um, that's more serious. I, I think he's good there. Um, but he's definitely hit or miss for me. Wait, uh, I don't know if you saw my video or you saw the article about it, but the, the, the fact of him getting casted in this movie or cast in this movie Basically, they went, they told his manager and said, hey, this is the deal for Mark Ruffalo. Like, take it or leave it. We really don't want him in this movie. So this is the best you're going to get kind of thing. And from that point, he had only really been in, I mean, he had, a, you know, the, the little role in Internal Sunshine, but he only been in like comedies and stuff like that. Not a really serious actor at all. So that's why the, it's so messed up to say that because now he's been nominated. I think he's been nominated three times i believe for oscars which is surprising because i was going to look it up right now but um but yeah they basically said hey we don't really want mark in this movie so better take or leave our uh uh our deal because this is the best it's going to get um he was nominated for spotlight uh fox catcher and the kids are all right okay so, i was gonna get shutter island before knowing any mm -hmm. of that Yes, yeah, so it's crazy. I mean, and then I, this touched base in the article as well. He that's why he was shocked when they wanted him to be in the MCU because he had been so disrespected in the past and he didn't really think anything special about himself. So he was shocked that someone would go out of their way to try to get him in a project like that. But I think he's fine. I mean, like there's nothing that stands out about Ruffalo, but I think he's a solid actor. Um, and if, he, if he's putting the right things, he excels, but he doesn't excel if he's not putting the right things. I don't think he has like massive like range. Yeah, and like versatility. I think he's like more of a 
like niche like tool to use for a specific role and like i mean like that's coming from I me mean, i'm i couldn't act if my life depended on it like that's having that talent is amazing like um and i think it's more on the like it's more the responsibility of the studios or director or casting director to understand like the needs for a particular role and like cast the right person it's like if he's casting a role that he's not meant for and like he's gonna do his best but like it's not his fault like if he was casted poorly um i don't think he's ever like really phoning it in i think many times he might just be or sometimes he might just be in the wrong role see um, i think a lot of times he overacts like he's trying too hard to like, like convince the audience about you in your mind uh like eternal sunshine i think there's times he's trying too hard to convince us like on screen i mean whether or not he's like trying to play the role of like sounding smart for the science like when they start having some trouble when jim carrey's fighting it from his sleep or like other scenes like i don't know or it's not believable when he's drunk in that movie either people yeah. forget that this is i mean it's the actor but it's also the director like that's the job of a director to get the performance that you want out of your actor so that's the same thing with Leonardo DiCaprio when Dan made the video about that. It's like, oh, he's just playing Leonardo DiCaprio. But there's a reason why people are casting him. That's what they want out of him. If they want something differently, it's their job to say, hey, we want something differently out of you kind of thing. So yeah. I feel yeah. like people forget that. And, you know, with uh, this is exactly, it's Fincher. So this is exactly the performance, exactly the performance that David Fincher wanted out of this character, no matter if it, he didn't sounds like he didn't want Ruffalo. He didn't care about Ruffalo, but no matter what, he was going to get this performance out of whoever was going to play this character. So I think that a lot of people forget that when it comes to acting, how it's like, how does a movie with incredible, a incredible cast, why is it not nominated for best picture? Well, it's because probably they don't have great chemistry together. You know, people forget that. Yeah. It's like, well, why were the, Brooklyn Nets trash with Harden and KD and Ben Simmons and Kyrie. It's like you can put, you know, the equivalent of those actors in a movie doesn't mean it's going to be good. Like if yeah. they don't, if they don't gel, if there's no chemistry, um, if they don't understand what each other needs to succeed. Um, the director's the coach. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times you're better off with a more, you might not be the most talented cast, but if they have more balance and, like they're all kind of helping each other and understand what each other needs to succeed. And there's a good coach director, like you're going to get a better movie and you're going to beat that team of just like slap together stars. Um, yeah, I think you, need, like, you need the Kyle Shanahan of play calling basically. Yeah. You got to choke that, uh, that 28, three leading Super Bowl. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I think you see that. So like, especially now you see that with like, cast that get put together that like look good on paper and then the movie's just dog shit yeah. and it's like it's just very ai casting feel like yeah there's no humanity i mean yeah it could be the source material as well and the story and everything like that but a lot of times these movies that have brilliant casts have a shitty director or not a good director the director is yeah. very important and it made me think about the fact that I mentioned the Leo thing, how one thing it adds to Leo, I know we're getting off track again, but the fact that even in Killers of Flower Moon or Django Unchained, he's not, the, Leo is a star. He's one of like three people. It's like him, Denzel, and Tom Cruise. Those are the stars left, basically, I would say. The big, big movie stars that people go out and they watch a movie because this person's in. 
in it. I think it's really astonishing for an actor of that caliber to be so comfortable with being a supporting actor. And he is not in my, I think the Killers of the Flower Moon is a little bit different because I think they're like three main leads rather than him being the, the forefront, which he is on the poster, but I really don't see it that way. But especially in like Django, like he was at the height of his career and he still is, but he was so comfortable with being a side character in a picture like that. Well, actually, he wasn't comfortable with that role. Yeah. Wait, yeah. how so, Connor? Oh, he did an interview where he, like, apparently, like, filming was, like, stopped for, like, a day and a half because he, like, didn't feel right about saying the N-word, which, you know, makes sense, until Samuel L. Jackson pulled him aside and was like, just say it. <laughs> he was like, we're acting here. Yeah, and I mean, Samuel L. goes way back with Quentin. And, like, yeah, really, he, he knows how Quentin is, yeah. Like, they've been on the same page for 25 years about that. So, like, um, but I, I understand that with Leo. I think he's a pretty, um, you know, clean-cut guy, I guess. Yeah. Like, and in, in, that's understandable. But, um, yeah, he's, I mean, Leo is very good. I think, like you said, Stone, he just gets called on to, like, for a specific role because he's established that he can nail it over and over again. Um but that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have the range. Like he was fucking disgusting in Killers of the Flower Moon. Like he was a pig. He was, he's great. He literally was like an animal. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so yeah. uh, I have I him mean, as my number two right now for best male actor of all time. Or no, 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 like for this upcoming Oscar for Killers I'm of the Flower Moon. I'm, just, I'm assuming you have Killian number one. But I'll tell you what, the yeah, the how the holdovers. Paul Giamatti does a. Gr I love the whole holdovers. Great film. I just feel like there's. Well, big competition this it's a great it's been a great year for movies there's so much competition out there yeah and there's i mean there's a lot coming at the end of the year too mm -hmm. like this this was a good year and like it's nice to see um i feel like there's been improvement like if you look back like 20 i mean 2020 i was looking back some some dumbass commented that tenant was the best movie of 2020 on my video which is like one of the most preposterously just absurd things I've ever seen in my life, but it was also a very poor year for movies. Um, no wonder they all got pushed back, probably. Well, I was just about to say, I mean, like, Tenet's probably up there for, like, besides me. Tenet, besides Tenet. Me, I like Tenet. I mean, maybe not even, like, top 10 or top 15, but again, there's no competition. So... it was there was a, 2020 was a lot of stuff that, like, snuck out. Like, there was a lot of, like, smaller... Um, more indie stuff so i think if you're like just if you're looking at like blockbusters yeah but um and i just main point was i think it was such a tough year for the industry and i think each year since then it's getting better and like the industry right now doesn't feel as reliant on like you know marvel and dc like to to get people in seats like people are getting excited to go see other stuff and like i don't know if that's true we might just feel that way because of like if we have like a jaded viewpoint towards that, because stuff is exciting to us, that might not be exciting to the average person. Um, but I feel like things are in a pretty good place right now in terms of. I mean, I was gonna say, you know how much I loved it, but the fact that I mean that Godzilla movie made twelve million dollars its opening weekend. That's the highest ever for a Japanese movie in the U.S. ever. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool to see. It depends on how you see cinema. The fact that you know, unfortunately, which you know because of a lot of reasons the marvels was the lowest mcu movie ever but then you have the highest grossing you know opening weekend of a japanese film ever very much things are changing in the industry which is really 
really interesting and very cool to see. And I would say Netflix is stepping up their game a lot when it comes to films. They have a lot of they've they've acquired a lot of good films that they're putting out, especially for the award seasons as well. But uh, yeah, I think there's been a lot of trial and error there. Um, and they also, there's also like so much, and I think their general model has been off quantity. Like if we produce enough stuff, something will stick. Um, so I, but I agree that I think it's getting better and they're also getting, getting stuff from like better directors and more legitimate feeling stories. And I hope they keep doing that. Um, but yeah, do you want to, I was going to say one thing about Zodiac that, um, it was kind of cool. I don't, I don't think we talked about it. it was um, one thing is that scene where um, the two are chilling by the pond and the killer comes up behind them. Yeah. Uh, David Fincher, David Fincher actually had the guy who survived that on set and had recreate that scenery. And they flew in trees on helicopters to plant the trees where they are in the shots, which is really uh, kind of, I feel like really a Fincher thing to do, but I thought that was a, uh, that was very interesting about, uh, about the film, but. Yeah, and that felt very real, and that makes sense as to why. Because um, the guy was there, yeah. Yeah, that's... I can't even imagine uh, having that experience, but... Yeah, because she died, right? In that, Yeah. Yeah. Or being back wild. in his shoes, like, right, like recreating that scene and then having to be back there. Like, I'm sure that was a whole other, you know... You know what? It, if I remember correctly, I think in the film, they're portrayed as a couple. I don't think that they were a couple in real life. Now, why were they by the pond? I don't know. It's kind of girl just showing by a pond, but I think that is something which makes more sense why he was so willing to come on set and say everything. If that was his girlfriend, a romantic park partner, I feel like it would affect you. I mean, it'll affect you no matter what, but yeah. you know, less of a connection. But I believe that's also something about the film as well that is uh, added. Yeah, and I was saying to Connor, like, all in all, I just feel like this is it does such a good job in like communicating frustration and the audience i think a lot of people feel the same way like oh, i just watch this for three hours i don't have the spoon for the answer but like yeah. yes that's how everyone yeah. felt about the real thing that happened and like communicating that is is just brilliant um i don't I, think anybody can communicate the zodiac story better than fincher i think this yeah. is really good for him i don't think it's his best film but i think this is perfect for him yeah i yeah. agree i'd agree with that I think one of my favorite lines in this movie that like is kind of swept under the rug because it is a throwaway line, but where he's uh, in the person's housing is not a lot of people in California have basements. Yeah. So many yeah, people like that in this. Yeah. Yeah. All the subtle, like for a movie to be this long and to maintain tension is impressive. Um, Doesn't and, up. Yeah. And it's through a lot of like subtlety, uh, and it, it kind of gives you a little piece at a time and just keeps you like kind of going down that breadcrumb trail, like trying to find out what's happening. Just like them. It's, I, I think it's excellent. Should we have the next one? Yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Carrie's case of Benjamin button. Kev just texted me. I just called you Kevin. So I do know your name is yeah. Connor. I was just going to like <laughs> skip over that. I did not have a stroke I've, there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, that sucks if you do. It's not like we can help you right now, you know? <laughs> um, this would be a memorable podcast. Call, that. Most I can do for you is like, call 911 and say, yeah, I got a friend in Philly. He might be having a stroke right now. Somewhere. <laughs> Go find him. He's around. And then I'll like hop on Facebook, try and find you, find like your girlfriend or mom or something. Be like, you might want to get to him. 
<laughs> that would be can make a good venture movie. Um, but yeah, Benjamin Button. Do you guys want to start? Is it a war I'll movie? Start. Have you wait? Have you watched Benjamin Button? No, I know. Yeah, I watched it this morning. Actually, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, I kind of like the it. Category. Oh, what do you like about it? Um, I just think it's very. I think it's a very good. I guess it's like a coming of age, not coming of age, but a very good love story that's very uniquely told, and it has a lot of the same themes of life. I mean, it's basically someone's life, right? And it's not unique in the way that um, it's a lot of the same things that people would think about any movie that's about, you know, the per- progression of life. But the fact that the fact that it's told in this unique way, just it's fascinating to watch the, it's just the, it's a really fascinating movie. I really liked it. And it's funny cause I watched it and my wife is like, well, you know, did they ever answer the fact of why, he, why he's uh, aging backwards? So I was like, no, but that's not important. Again, like this is one I feel like everyone kind of knows the origin or like the basis of the storyline. So I knew that going in. But Frank, like I kind of felt like the beginning of it where the guy made a clock that goes backwards and like Teddy Roosevelt showed up for the unveiling of it. Like I kind of felt like that was a little pointless. Like because it didn't really tell you anything about how Benjamin Button came to be. Yeah. I just, this doesn't do very much for me um i feel like this also just seems like such a like it stands out from a lot of his other work i think in a very interesting way um and just doesn't kind of feel like it was necessarily in his wheelhouse which i get like i appreciate him trying um but i don't know this just doesn't do very much for me especially like watching a lot of his other stuff but yeah, I mean, like, I'm also, like, a fairly big Brad Pitt fan, and, like, I just, I don't know, something about his role here just didn't really feel all that special to me. Yeah, just, like, in terms of feeling a little bit generic for, like, what he can do, or, like... Yeah, like, I mean, obviously, I feel like in his other two Fincher movies that he's done, Seven and Fight Club, like, we see a lot more out of Brad Pitt than we do in this one. Like, it kind of yeah, felt like I... this one was... He was just doing it to be with Fincher again, almost. Yeah, I think for a lot of it, um, it's like you don't even obviously feel like you're watching Brad Pitt. Um, I also think, like, I don't... I feel like a lot of how he looks just looks so strange and bad, almost. Like, bad CGI or, like, bad makeup. Like, I think he got a lot of praise for that aspect of it, but I, I think a lot of it looks so weird that it's almost, like, jarring and pulls you out of the movie. Um... And I also just, a lot of it just kind of creeps me out a little bit. Like, I think it just makes me feel, like, a little weird and uncomfortable. Um, I don't know. Do you feel that way at all? Or Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, especially, like, you know he's a kid, but that part in the beginning where him and Daisy are, like, under the cover together, or, like, under a fort together that they built in the living room. Yeah, I think like, it's just, like... It's, it's kind of a strange look like it's you know regardless of like the context of the story like there's obviously an uncomfortability there um and i just i don't know i think it just feels strange to me um and i'm not 
it kind of takes me out of it again. I'm just kind of like off put and I feel like it pulls me out of the yeah. story. You could argue that like them together under that like Ford or like the covers, whichever one it really is, like isn't necessary, but like it kind of shows like the struggle of him as a kid. But I feel like there's a lot better ways you could have shown it. Something I was reading a little bit about is a lot of people have compared this to um, Forrest Gump a bit, and just in terms of like a full, uh, a full life kind of like being examined and going through like different periods of history. And I think I'm not a big. I mean, we've talked about that. I'm not a big Forrest Gump guy. So like something about yeah, this, neither of us are. Yeah. So I think like something about this kind of like long lifetime story just doesn't do that much for me. And then I also think like Pitt and Kate Blanchett, uh, I don't think the chemistry is that great. Um, and just, I don't know. I feel like that needs to like really hit to kind of carry the movie. And it, I don't feel like it does. So yeah, all in all, this is just like, I'm not trying to trash it. I wouldn't fault someone for liking it, but for me, it just doesn't really do too much. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think, like, the one standout role in this movie is uh, Queenie, played by uh, Taraji P. Henson. I think yeah. she was fantastic in this. Which, yeah. she's good in almost everything that I've seen her in. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I also, I think this is one that just, you probably could have cut maybe, like, a half hour out of this, and it would be a lot more engaging. Um, yeah, but as it stands, just, I, I feel like it's kind of a slog cause I don't have that investment that I need to normally get through a movie. That's that long. So yeah, that's kind of one thing I would like to see too, it, but like it would completely change how the story is written, but like maybe see him try and be a parent, like as he's getting younger at the end. But I mean, that would completely change. Like, you know, he would or his daughter wouldn't be reading this story about him instead. Like it would just have to be following him from start to finish of life. Yeah. Um, I think there are maybe some other, like some other moments in life or directions they could have gone that would have been a little more compelling um, and made for a more interesting narrative. But yeah, as it stands, um, this is something I don't really think I go back too much. Um, I also think, I mean, it's interesting that it was, it was an adaptation of a F. Scott Fitzgerald like, short story, so I think that's cool. Um, finding, like, interesting source material like that, but it just doesn't do too much for me. Yeah. It's funny. Every time I hear F. Scott Fitzgerald, I just think of the scene from Ted 2. You see they're making a, that Ted series? Are they really? Making a Ted prequel series, I believe, on I want to say Amazon. Um, I don't know how necessary that is. I mean, dude, most of what gets made now is not necessary, but they're well, just trying to find something, make money. But um, yeah, I like, see what I want out of Ted. Yeah, there's a there's a trailer out, and some people think it's funny, but um, I don't really feel a need to watch that. I don't know. I mean, if Seth MacFarlane is, like, directing it and stuff, I might check it out, because he is a very good comedic writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we jump into the next one? 
Yeah. Uh, actually, getting off topic on Seth MacFarlane real quick. Have you seen A Million Ways to Die in the West? Yes. That's yes, one of my very favorite in It's one of my favorite cameos in cinema history was Django at the end credits scene. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. I kind of forgot about that movie. It's like some moments are kind of funny, but... See, I watched that for the first time ever this year, so that's probably why I remember it so well. But Okay. And the whole backstory of Liam Neeson on that movie. But uh, anyway, next movie we're hopping into is The Social Network, a movie I was harsh on for years. <laughs> I watched it years ago, and I thought it was like aggressively mediocre. Like I just didn't enjoy it at all. And then it was funny because I, I talked to the guys from Raiders of the Lost podcast every now and then, and I told them that, and they're like, no, you need to go rewatch it. They're like, we thought the same thing. And so I rewatched it last week in preparation for this. And so I, I treated this movie too harshly. <laughs> what did you not like about it um, originally, or what, what about it like failed to connect with you? To be honest, I probably didn't pay attention enough as much as I should have. Um, so I remember just thinking that the movie was kind of boring. Um, I didn't like. I mean, not that you're really supposed to like them, but I thought the Winklevosses were like just super annoying, and there was nothing like I enjoyed about that. Um, so over and also just kind of Jesse Eisenberg is a weird dude, but also now that I've rewatched it, now that I have a better movie knowledge and like pay attention more in movies than I did back then, like Jesse Eisenberg played this aggressively well. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I agree. Um, Stone, what are kind of your general thoughts? All right, you guys can still hear me okay, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. My general thoughts, um, favorite uh, Fincher movie. That's a real general thought. Um, love it to death. Um, great movie. Um, like I said, similar to the Fight Fight Club. I think everything is working here brilliantly together. Um, Jesse Eisenberg for me is the second best cast per casted person in a Fincher film. Uh, I think the next movie that we'll talk about. No, no, no. In a couple movies, we'll talk about who I think is the best cast person. Um, Jesse's great. Um, this movie came out in 2009, I believe, because it was nominated for the 2010 Oscars. Um, I talked to Dan about it today. And picked... It came out in 2010? That's what uh, Letterboxd I guess, I guess is telling me. me. Um, yeah, basically, it's yeah. wild to think about the fact that, that both... Uh, like just with the movie coming out, this the severity of how much it affected society, but how much, uh, you know, Oppenheimer affected the same the world just as much as Mark Zuckerberg has, which is insane to think about because they've done two completely different things, but they will go down in history. Basically, they they change they've changed everything uh, about the uh, I, I think it's a very important film, and there hasn't been a more important film in Fincher's work than this one. In my opinion, but yeah, I think um, since you guys both spoke a little bit, I, I this doesn't do as much for me as I think it does a lot of other people, and I think a lot of it goes into the likability of the characters, which is obviously not supposed to be high. Um, I think a lot of what I look for is connection with characters in a lot in movies in general um 
I think that kind of lacks here. And that lacks, I think, in a lot of Fincher's work just because of how um, I see a lot of it can be. But at the same time, like, I have massive respect for it. I think the performances are great. The screenplay itself is obviously wonderful. Um, like you mentioned earlier, Stone, like the music, um, the score fits the tone perfectly. Um, I think there's some, you know, liberties taken um, in terms of the actual storytelling. But again, that's frequently necessary to make like an engaging story. Um, and yeah, like it, it's given people a lot of memorable moments. I think for a lot of people, this is their favorite. Um, it's in my, you know, upper echelon, but um, definitely not uh, close to one for me. But I, I do have a lot of respect for it. Um, and Jesse Eisenberg was perfectly cast. Um, it couldn't have really been any better. So, uh, yeah, I think they, they definitely nailed the casting here. You know what I'm just now realizing? That I'm looking at the cast of this movie while you guys talk? Is um, Erica Albright, his girlfriend in the beginning, is the girl in the dragon tattoo. Yep. Wait, is, is, is who, Connor? So Rudy his girlfriend Mar in the very Rudy beginning, Mar Erica Albright, that he like blogs about, that's the girl with the dragon tattoo. In the, in the, in which version? Rooney Mara. She plays his oh, wait, girlfriend, you see. Oh, that's you're saying that's Rooney Mara. Yeah, I didn't realize she was the same person. Yeah, no, I honestly I honestly completely forgot that she played Erica. Um but yeah, no, I I, I was again having a bit of a stroke there. But um yeah, that's funny. It's cool it's always cool to see like and I think Stone, we were talking about this one time, like there isn't always the most carryover from actors throughout working with Fincher um, and I think potentially because it's like a really difficult process apparently um, so it is cool to see like when someone makes a jump with him I, I love Rooney Mara I think she's um, ridiculously good in general so um, yeah I mean that's also just like it's such a small role I feel like I almost forget about it but um, I forgot she was in this She was also the executive producer for Studs. Did, not Did you that. watch that? No. That was a documentary came out on Netflix. still there about Jonah Hill and his uh, psychiatrist or therapist. One of the, I think it's psychiatrist. I remember, I remember seeing bits and pieces of that um, when that came out, like uh, on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, it's well worth the watch. And it's only like an hour and a half, I think. Okay. Out of curiosity, Connor, where do you have this in your ranking? Let me verify. Because I just made my list right before we hopped on. This currently sits in my three, but I've bounced it around from three and four. Okay. Yeah, for me, I think it's a... Yeah, this is a three at three as well. Um, it's very nearly four. Um it's, it's such a coin flip there for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've always wanted to like this more than other people, but um, it's not one I find myself going back to that much. Uh, even I, though it's, I feel like technically 
one of his more rewatchable movies? Probably, but I like I feel like this and Fight Club are both like very film broy movies. Like they're so talked about on like everything, like film talk, YouTube, everything. Yeah. And, and for some reason, I like I've never connected to this movie as much as everyone else does. Well, I think you and me both kind of look for like some type of emotional connection with characters. Uh, I mean, yeah, and like it's it's a very cold movie um but again that's consistent for him so yeah i i wish i liked it more um they've always they've talked about making a sequel here which would be interesting um that's about that's what? something about basically everything that's happened with facebook since like um there's been so much in terms of like privacy um it was heavily involved with uh the last few elections like there's been a lot of, um, okay. you know, questions about like uh, fact checking and like validity of content and how that impacts like people's opinions. Like there's a lot to get into and a lot that's happened and they've talked about um, and also just Zuckerberg himself. Um, I think I was just kind of talking about, I don't remember exactly, but just like we were just kind of briefly going over um Oh wait, you mean you mean like just now? Yeah, were you talking about like real life Zuckerberg? Yeah, so we were talking about the potential of a social network sequel, um, and basically kind of what that would look like and the things that would go into. So I was talking to Connor kind of about like everything Facebook's gone through in terms of like privacy issues, um, in terms of like misinformation, the involvement with like the elections. Like it's it's been through a lot. Um, and it's been through a lot of change, like even going into to meta and all. Um, and then Zuckerberg himself has been kind of a controversial figure. Um, and, you know, there's almost 15 years of history since then. So I think there's definitely material there to make, but it would be very difficult, most likely, and um, probably pretty divisive. So they'd probably have to take some stance here and there on different things. But um, it would definitely be interesting. I feel like it wouldn't feel like a true sequel because you would have to completely change it. Yeah, but I mean, it, it would be a completely different movie in terms yeah. of most things. Um, but, and I mean, I wouldn't be breaking down the door to see it, but I would watch it. Um, but yeah, any other closing thoughts on Social Network? Yeah, Connor, you had asked me what makes this um, movie so good for me. And something that the most of... The, my favorite part about film is scripts. I love screenplays. Um, that's why I love Tarantino so much. I really like it. And I mean, this one for best uh, adapted screenplay, I think the script is brilliant. Um, my favorite scene, surprisingly, where I think the script is so good, is the scene of, um, shoot, what's his name? Justin Timberlake and Dakota Johnson. I think how Justin is speaking there is incredible. How he says, oh, the, the, the shoe's on the other. And she goes, she goes foot. And he goes table, which is now turn. Very quick. Um, he says, there's a snake in here. Great stuff. I think Justin Timberlake does a really good job. And it's, it's very smart by um, Fincher to cast Justin Timberlake. Because in real life, um, like, the guy, oh, what's his name? Do you remember his name? The actual man himself? Sean Parker? Yeah, Sean Parker does not look like that in real life. He does not look, he's not that good looking. So I think it was very smart for them to cast Justin Timberlake because 
he just who he is in general. And I think this is really before his career kind of took off because I think he did um, Friends with Benefits after this and then also In Time. So this is like his first maybe big role. But it was very important to cast somebody like that because he's supposed to be looked at as like an idol. That's how Mark Zuckerberg looks at him. Like he's the coolest guy in the entire room always. So I think it's very smart that the audience also feels that way as well because you're looking at Justin Timberlake, right? And I think something that's really cool is that Jonathan Groff actually almost got this part. And I think it's really interesting because he was later casted as the lead for David Venture show Mindhunter. But yeah, that's where it's... Um, it's very it's funny as well. Um, there's very unnecessary things that still work. Like the, the fact they didn't have to do the Army Hammer double. They didn't have to do that. They could have gotten actor twins. I mean, I mean, I guess it is a huge role, so you want to make sure you have a good actor. But I think it's so incredible how seamless, seamlessly that looks still to this day. I think it looks phenomenal. And it's very interesting because the guy who played his body double, I don't remember the actor's name or in uh, actually who, because they just, you know, copied and pasted Army Hammer's face on there. You got it? It's uh, Josh Pence. Josh Pence. He's actually an Olympic swimmer or rower. Like he was actually oh, really? part of it. Uh, yes. And it's very interesting because Army Hammer is such a jacked guy. And you would think that he wouldn't have difficulty with that. He was really struggling to row. And rowing is a very difficult sport. And Army Hammer was struggling and needed to, I believe, like tape up his hands and stuff like that because they were getting so abused by doing all that stuff. Um, but yeah, social network, I think is fantastic. They, the script is incredible and it's very interesting too, because the screenplay, I think it's the, the book is called the accidental, accidental billionaires. Um, it wasn't finished yet. The book was not finished yet. They knew that this story was going to be so good that they got the rights to make it before the book had even finished. So it's very funny because it's like, oh, it's off of an adapted screenplay. Yes and no, because, um, was Craig uh, Sorkin um, basically took inspiration, but not necessarily copied an actual book. And I didn't know this for the longest time, but Sorkin's actually in the film, uh, the writer. He is in the scene where Mark is supposed to act cool and Sean Parker tells him to act like he doesn't care. And he shows up. I, I don't think this is when he shows up in his pajamas, but he's like doing that like sound kind of thing. The guy that he's talking to is the writer of the movie. And I think that was cool. That's something I learned on a new, on a recent rewatch. But yeah, for me, it's really just the scripts. And that's the only thing it won an Oscar for, I believe. Maybe the music as well. But I, very deserving. So I, I'm upset that it didn't win Best Picture. And I told Dan that today. But if anything, it would have been a crime if it didn't win for Best Script. And I think this is the best script out of any of Fincher's films. But yeah, for me, that's that's why it stands apart from anything because I'm a really I'm a big man of dialogue. So, you guys know how Army Hammer beefed up for this role. How's that? He went on his uh his his cannibal diet, strict strict meat. I thought that's where you were headed with this. A lot of protein. A lot of protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think there's a scene where they're in a they're just eating randomly, and it's like three patties like the burger is huge because these olympic rowers have to eat so much food dude i had no idea about the whole army hammer cannibal thing till the other night i was like laying in bed my wife was like you're just sitting there playing our phone and i turned on call me by your name and she goes why are you watching a movie with a cannibal in it and i was like what the fuck are you talking about yeah it was a very very bizarre turn for him an but, interesting yeah. casting what if um was the fact that I believe Shia LaBeouf was considered to play Mark Zuckerberg. 
that wouldn't have been nearly as good. No, and it's um, and it's incredible, and I would love to see Eisenberg because I think he's a really good actor, and he doesn't really get a lot of roles. I feel like not in like big name Hollywood movies anymore. Um, is that he really loved working with Fincher, and that's something that I really didn't get to touch on. I don't know the details of it, but I know that um, Jake Gyllenhaal had a really tough time on the Zodiac set with how much like takes Fincher was doing, and um, Jesse Eisenberg loved it. Absolutely loved it. And surprise me, like he's kind of an alien. Yeah. yeah. Which is why he's the perfect man to play Zuckerberg. And I'll, yeah. I'll touch on, I'll touch on it briefly, but the whole the fact the fact of how quick the dialogue is. I don't know if you saw my video, but the fact that Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher sat down and they timed the dialogue and they read it together and they timed how quick it should be in the film. And then they clicked, clicked it and they knew how quick it had to be spoken. That was a lot of the reason for the 99 takes of the first scene was the fact that Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg were not talking quick enough. Their performances might have been fantastic, but it, need, it needs to have that quick pace, which I feel like really works with the characters. You say like you can't connect, a reason for you is you can't connect with them. And it makes sense. These are guys that we're not familiar with. They're gene. I mean, you guys are geniuses, but you know, they're very smart. You know, very tech guys, Harvard, everything like that. The 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 quickness of the dialogue makes sense with every single person that is in this film, every single character. And I just I, I think it works. It's 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 incredible. I really do like it. It's one of my favorite films of all time. I've never made like a a list ever, but it's up there for sure. Sweet. Anything else for you on this, Connor? I don't think I have much else on it. Like I said my piece. Mainly um I actually was very impressed by Justin Timberlake in this role. Other than that, though, in his career, I don't know how much he's really impressed me with acting-wise. Yeah. Fair enough. Do you want to roll into uh, Gone Girl? That's not next. Girl with the dragon tattoo, my guy. Oh, my God. I'm a dumbass. What year was dragon tattoo? 2011. That's honestly crazy that he came right Mm -hmm. back. That okay. is insane when you think of the gap between Gone Girl and Mank. Yeah. Which I guess he, he did do Mindhunter, but yeah, it's it's insane that uh that he did back to back. Yeah. Um especially with like the detail that Fincher puts in every one of his movies and how long they are. Yeah, and I I'll start here. Um this is my favorite Fincher. Um by a bit, uh, and I actually just changed that. This was it was two for a long time, um, but on like rewatching, um, I just think this is different than anything else he's done. Um, I like I said, I love Rudy Mara. I think she's excellent. Um, I think that is probably my favorite character he's ever written. Um, I. Like, she's one of my favorite characters I've ever seen in anything, frankly. Um, I think she has kind of that, uh, Not it's a strange comparison, but almost in a similar way to uh, talking about the writing for, like, um, Zuckerberg. Like, it's the same kind of, like, sharp, quick, like, no bullshit, like, type of communication. Um that I really like. And she just feels kind of one step ahead. Um, she's very like 
capable. Um, she's just such a strong character. And I think, again, like we kind of talked about, I think Fincher struggling to write women and she's obviously not a perfect character, but I think she's one of the, like the most interesting female character he's written um, even more so than Gone Girl. So, and I'm also a massive, massive fan of Daniel Craig. Uh, and this is, again, I think we're very much right in his um, kind of comfortable zone. It's kind of a, you know, I think he's he's in a role that, that fits him very well. Um, but I love kind of like the mystery. Uh, I like the way it kind of um, spirals and the story unfolds. And the supporting cast, I mean, um, Christopher Plummer, Stellan Skarsgård, like they piled a bunch of really good actors in this movie and just let them do their thing with a great script and like a classic kind of Fincher environment. Like it's freezing cold, it's dark, it's just, you feel like you're there and it fits the story perfectly. Um, I think this is excellent. Uh, I wouldn't change anything about it. So um, yeah, this is my favorite thing he's ever made. And I'm also, I would say, I feel like I'm a sucker for like a a revenge story in general. And this is kind of like the ultimate like slow burn revenge. And like, you know, Rooney Mara being like a victim of like abuse and whatnot and getting a chance to get involved in something on like this scale, even larger than herself. And I like, I love her relation. Like they didn't have to make her romantically involved with Daniel Craig, but I like really love it. Um, I think they're like one of my favorite, uh, like couples on screen. Um, I think they have good chemistry. Uh, I just really like the way they interact. So, um, yeah, that's kind of summary of my thoughts. That kind of took me off guard, but like all of a sudden, like right away, they started, like she started like getting with him, like romantically. But I, and a lot of times it happens in movies and you're like, why is this happening right now but it very much makes sense of her character and to feel like she hasn't had someone be nice to her like that or be an actual normal human being you know and it's no surprise that with what she's facing in her life that she's so quick to like jump to that kind of thing yeah and i think she's very like she's so like i feel like it would have it could have been strange if it didn't fit her character but i feel like she's so direct and just like no bullshit um and I feel like it's it's interesting, even from the first scene when he walks into uh, her apartment and she's so on edge, like she has her taser, like she's just kind of watching him like a cat almost, like she's just like waiting for him to like, you know, make a mistake or like be weird towards her or whatever. And he's just so matter of fact and just like normal, but she still kind of has like those defenses up for a while, kind of like feeling him out. Um but he just kind of like treats her like a normal person. So I like their dynamic a lot. One of the things I love most too about like her character or like the way Fincher did this was all of the like stuff he showed that you don't really have to show. Like the, I don't even think there's dialogue in it, but the scene where the guy steals her bag at the train station and she like goes up, fights him and gets it back and then just walks onto the train. Like it was nothing. Like, I think that makes you connect to the character so much more, or just, like, care about her more. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, 
she just feels like a very real person. And I feel like I also like that um, they're both so proficient at what they do and so, like, technically sound in their professions. And I feel like it puts enough time into, like, showing you, like, how smart and sharp they both are um, so that it feels, like, believable with everything that, like, all the investigation and, like, how they just hunt him down and, like, break through everything that's happening. Um, I love the mystery of it. I think it's... It, exposed in a very like cohesive and timely way i will say this is a film that'll get a lot better for me on rewatch because to be honest this is the first time i watched it, it was this past month and i got really confused with the family members i had no idea what this movie was about so i got really confused i mean were they in what norway or sweden sweden i believe yeah so i got really confused with a lot of family members and a lot of family dynamics and then one thing that also I didn't like, but I liked at the same time was the fact that they cast Stellan Skarsgård because he's one of my favorite actors and kind of because of his casting, I knew that he was going to be the culprit because I feel like there's no reason why you don't cast Stellan Skarsgård unless it is for something as important as that, if that makes sense. I was like, I, I was saying, I bet it's him because he, I mean, I, if I had Stellan Skarsgård in my movie, I would make him the guy because he's a phenomenal Yeah, I, I I feel that for sure. Um, yeah. What do you think, uh, Connor? I kind of going off of him. I mean, there's a few movies that he's like not like that, and I don't think my Skarsgård knowledge is as great as it should be because it's funny. Like the first thing people think of when they hear like Stellan Skarsgård, I don't know. What would you guys say? Because for me, it's Deep Blue Sea. I honestly kind of forgot about that movie. It's also I, it's also funny it's funny that um they cast like one of the most famous like Swede actors of all time in this like big Swedish movie. Um, I think that was a cool nod. And I think was this? I'm assuming this was shot on site. Do you guys know off the top of your head? I'll Google it real quick. It's funny they could have just had the whole family be all the stars guards. Yeah, it says the primary primary filming location was in Sweden. Um, yeah. Also in LA, um, a little bit in London too. But um, and it feel like it. I think the feel of this is very a little bit of Bond ish, um, but almost with Rooney Mara as the bond-like character which is interesting um but i think the tone of it is very much and i would love to see venture make a bond movie honestly yeah so i was gonna ask you guys how this compares because i've never seen a bond movie that's wild i think it also like it's 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 so tough to say because like there's been so many iterations of him and they've they've changed in tone so much over the course of you know 60 years um yeah. I'm more talking Daniel Craig's Bond. Was this before or after he was cast as that? After. This was after, yeah. But like okay. in the course of um I thought I want to so. say Skyfall was uh this was 2011. Um I think Casino Royale Casino Royale was his first one, I believe. I think it came out in 2007. 
Yeah, so this this has a little bit of a similar feel to me to Skyfall, um, which is the one with Javier Bardem as the villain, which came out the next year. Um, just in terms of like the darkness, moodiness. Um, I also think there's some like very dark tongue-in-cheek, like funny stuff in this movie um, that I enjoy. Uh, but I got, and I also could see a lot of people not liking it. Um, if you told me you weren't into it, I would not fault you. It's it's really dark and hard to watch sometimes. But um, I, I love say, it, especially respect. the scene with the social worker. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I didn't know that going in. I was watching with my wife, and I was like, "Wow, this is way more intense than any other Fincher film." Yeah, um, yeah, that's always that's like kind of at the heart of the the story itself. Um, but I mean, to me, it feels real, and like there's people like like people get taken advantage of in the world all the time. And again, like that's Fincher going into like people and what people are like, and how when people are vulnerable and like don't have other like means to get what they need like they just get taken advantage of in every way imaginable so I, it's awful but um feels real to me and i'm but i also love like when she goes back and like he gets his uh comeuppance like that's great to me um and i love like her matter of fact nature like the violence feels very real um i think that's i you know, I think it's a strong scene. Oh, yeah. That's right there in comparison with Kill Bill with Buck. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really good. Um, but again, like I said, I could see people not liking this. I get it. But um, to me, I wouldn't change a single thing about this movie. I'd say a couple things that one thing I like and one thing I don't like I liked and it was very interesting because I was sitting there waiting is the fact that they don't really connect for a long time Yeah, like it's set it's setting up everything about the mystery and then setting up everything about her character and Usually that wouldn't be good in the film, but both of them are so interesting She's so interesting to care and care and she's really the main character. It's called the girl with the dragon tech, too You know yes. you get some fleshing out of Daniel Craig, but not as much but then it's very and it's cool because she's way smarter than him and that's plain she's able to catch on to things really quickly so you don't need to see her get explained the mystery as much as daniel craig is getting explained everything that's happened because she can catch on to it very quickly which is how she discovers that like people are connected in like i don't know a couple of days or whatever she does she's like oh yeah there's way more women than you thought there was but one thing that was in the back of my mind that i can't help thinking about was the fact that this is part of a book series and everyone's like, oh, is Fincher going to do the whole series? No, I don't think that'd be really a Fincher thing to do. But the whole thing where she goes undercover at the very end and she's doing all this stuff and she kind of screws over that big guy, takes all of his money out, all of that. That felt like to me the possibility of a sequel and say, hey, this is what more we can do with this character kind of thing. Like this is what she can do if she has the opportunity. So that was something that kind of took me out of it. I don't necessarily know if that was necessary, but I get why they did it. And the only thing I could think about is like that, all that stuff is very vital for a sequel is what I thought. So that was something in the back of my mind. I also feel like that's a shame. I mean, I'm, it's a shame. I guess we're not, not going to get that most likely. Um, Cause I think this is about the character that would do really well now. Like there's like, 
I mean, this is a much bigger conversation, but I feel like there's a lot of poorly written characters in general, but there's a lot of, I think, female characters that like, for example, like the Marvels, the writing in that is bad. And like, that's not anyone's fault. It's not the character's fault. But like those characters have to be written like hokey and the movie has to be fun. And but like, why can't it be like a serious, good movie? Like, and she's like a, feels like a real person. She's not sitting there joking or quipping or trying to be cute or fun. Like she's just living life and like dealing with like difficulties and then also like super intelligent and like super capable and also like capable of protecting herself. Like she's like a real person. Like, and I think she's a great character. And I think people, I would love to see a sequel now. Um, I think it would do really well, but um you know, it's also really, really dark, and, uh, you know, it's not, you're going to probably make it rated R, so it's not like you're going to be, you know, getting kids to go see it, but she's a great character, and I wish she had more more movies, like a whole series. I would love it. So. Yeah, you could literally have, like, a female Bond. That's basically, that's what it feels like, and it's a missed opportunity, because I feel like there should be something like that with a female lead in Hollywood, and there's really not. And well, like we're you said, actually getting that. They're doing the spinoff what? of John Wick with Anna de Armas, the ballerina. Yeah, but that's like that's a spinoff, I guess. I don't, I don't want to hamper. I've watched it, but you know, I, yeah, I'm glad that we're getting it now. But it would have been cool to get this back in 2011. Imagine if we had three or four Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movies by now. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I yeah. would rather, like, I would prefer, like, the next Bond could be a woman. I wouldn't give a flying fuck, but I would prefer to have seen five of these movies because this is a this is a female character that exists. That's awesome. And, like, why not let her have a series that feels, like, that's based off this real character, like, rather than just trying to co-opt something and, like, you know what I mean? Like, does that does that make sense? Like, I would love to see just, like, you know, characters get a chance in stories that already exist, because there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of incredible female characters in literature, book series, like, take those and adapt them and make them good. Like you don't have to just say, Oh, James Bond is, is a woman now. Cause we want to like get a different perspective or a different target audience. Like why not continue with that, but also write like great female stories as well and like adapt them. I just well, back to our conversation but, from earlier is that's why I think I would like to see a kill bill three so much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's another really like, I think she might be, I was literally just thinking, I'm working on a video of, like, my top Tarantino characters of all time, like, top ten, and, like, I'm just thinking about where she belongs, and it's very fucking high, like... Um, she might be my number two. With number one being... Honestly, Hans Landa. Probably. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, I just, big, huge fan of this, um, wish there was more and big Rudy Mara fan. Um, you might have just changed my ranking a little bit. Dude, I hate yeah, doing podcasts because literally I'll have my list up and this entire episode, when we talk about movies, I've been like shifting them around because it's making me think about it more. Or like hearing your perspective makes me change my like thought because I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it that way and then I shift it. It's it's a tough filmography to rank. Um, well, yeah, which is also why it's good we do our ranking at the end. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, now, do you guys want to get into Gone Girl? I was going to say, you were so excited about it before. 
Yeah. Um, you want to start, Connor? Yeah, I will start because this is my number one. Okay. Well, my wife showed I like this. That we all have a different like, number one. That's good, I think. Yeah. I just, I don't know. When I first watched this, like, I remember, like, it was one of the few movies that has really had me on, like, the edge of my seat for that first, like, what, 45 minutes, give or take, where, like, you don't know where his wife went, and then, like, there's all these pieces, like, leading to something else, and, like, you're trying to guess who did it or if he did it. Keeps you guessing. I think the second act does slow down a bit, like, you know, when she's, like, in the trailer park and all that, but I think the whole scene with, like, or a whole storyline of like her with neil patrick harris's character like really intensifies the movie him trying to go on the news network and like all the subtle details of him doing this over his lips to get her attention and try and make her come back yeah i think this is very 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 good um and again it's like you hate these fucking characters. Like, they're awful. Um, yeah. And I like that it's not... I think watching this and rewatching, I try to figure out, like, what exactly is the message? Like, is there... What is being said? Um, and it's really just... I don't know if this is just, like, a commentary on marriage in general, and it seems like a very negative one <laughs> at that. Um, or just a commentary on relationships in terms of like how people just bend themselves and twist themselves to like be something to appease someone else and um, how dangerous that can be and then the long-term effects of that and obviously this is like that at its very worst but I think um, it's just really a movie about the importance of, I guess, knowing yourself and knowing who you are and being able to walk away from people that don't um, appreciate that, but also the dangers of just completely losing yourself in an act. Um, which is interesting. And But, you know, it's like Ben Affleck's character is not likable in any way either. One thing I wanted to ask you guys was when he knocks her down, did that happen or did that not happen that didn't happen yeah i don't think it happened where it's like the staircase is right there yeah i just i felt like that was i didn't know if that i didn't know if that was supposed to be ambiguous because i feel like a lot of what she said in terms of like how he treated her was fabricated but he also was like wildly flawed and like he also I means he puts his hand on her at the end um and like smashes her head into the wall so like I do. Yeah, but a lot a lot has happened. <laughs> yeah, I, th yeah, I think sure, at that point it was think... just driven from pure anger. Yeah, I get that. I think I don't know. I just wasn't sure if that was supposed to be real or not. And I think it also like adds or subtracts something from like everything that happens. I don't know because like I think the intention, like the point, was supposed to be all of her fear was fabricated, which it obviously was. So I just feel like that would have been an odd thing to include and have actually have happened. Um, yeah. Well, she had to include that to show that in the diary to give him, uh, oh, he did this, like he probably killed her kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think this is the the best casting of anybody in a Fincher film for Affleck. Because Affleck is so terrible when it comes to the media. He does this shit. He literally 
does not do the right thing in front of the media. Like he always looks depressed. Is he depressed? Who knows? But he like there's this whole thing of him looking annoyed at like an Oscar party or something like that. And Jennifer Lopez is like, hey, shape up. Like that didn't really happen, but people interpreted that way because he's terrible on camera. Like he has been ridiculed for years because he's just off on camera and he just doesn't give a shit. I think that's very funny that this character is very similarly like that. And when you were talking about the what's the point of the story stuff about marriage, something very interesting is the fact I think him and Jennifer Gardner got divorced one year after this movie came out. Yeah, and I think it means the like "Hello Darkness, My Old Friend" meme from the Batman like press tour. Like that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I think this movie is very Fincher can get very meta. Um, I think this is a really good example of that. Like it, all of the it just feels very real. Like all of the like <clears throat> and Tyler Perry is really fucking good in this. Like I love his role. Um, as kind of like that spin doctor lawyer, like, and those people are, that feels so real. Um, and all the little stuff, like just as she is a manipulator and all of that, like it's the, the dark humor is that Ben Affleck's on the other side, trying to do the same thing, just in a different way um, through the media and through image and through um, like social media and all that. Like, it's just, it shows, two angles of that um while she's like all about like personal like subtle manipulation um so i think that's a kind of a funny analysis of both sides of um how that works but uh yeah rosamund pike's really really good here like it's she's having a lot of fun i think so fun One thing about that i was gonna say uh, fincher Fincher um, cast Rosamund Pike for a couple of reasons. One is that she's an only child. And he liked that she was an only child because Amy was an only child. But then also he watched her filmography and he could not figure out what type of person she was based on her filmography. And he's like, oh, that fits Amy very well. And something that's crazy about this movie, and probably Connor, you know about this, and because you love this movie so much, was that I believe Reese Witherspoon was a producer on this film. She basically was the one who wanted to start it. And they hired on Fincher. And Fincher's like, thanks for hiring me on. By the way, Reese, because she wanted to pay Amy. She's like, he's like, Reese, I'm not going to put you as Amy. <laughs> it completely like took her out of it. So I thought that was very interesting. That's something happened behind the scenes. I'm not going to lie. I Which think, I like I Reese with her spin, but she wouldn't be as good. I don't think she would be as good, but I think she could have done it. I don't know if that's a hot take. I think she could have done this role. And I think I agree. Would have been interesting, but it's also like it's so difficult to watch this with Rosamund Pike and then be like anyone else could like you can't make that connection in your brain really. But I don't think she would have been lost in this role. I'll say I that. think Reese is too big of an actress. That's the thing, is she has to be ambiguous. And she has to not know what's going on in her mind. And I think that Rosamund Pike, because she doesn't have as big a filmography, really fits that really well. Yeah. Do and another you, uh, thing is, I was going to say, the other big casting thing, I don't know, Connor probably knows about this maybe, is Ben Affleck was not supposed to, he was not the first choice. And the first choice was John Hamm. And what had happened was he was in the last season, he was in the last season of Mad Men, season six, I believe, and they would not let allow him to be in this film. So they casted Ben Affleck instead. 
And I don't think that Ben Ass or John Ham would have worked personally. Yeah, I think you want someone that's capable of being a little more like hapless loser. And I think Ben Affleck like delivered that really well. Um, well yeah, I think everything details. about Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. One of my favorite details, though, is that filming stopped for three days because Ben Affleck would refuse to wear a Yankees hat being from Boston. Okay, I have something to say about that. I have a video about that up. I don't I don't know if that happened or not, to be honest. Because Affleck has come out and said that it's happened, but I've also listened to really, really popular podcasts. And I guess that during the commentary of the movie, Fincher's like, yeah, this happened. And supposedly you're supposed to say that it was sarcasm, that maybe it did happen on set, but not the three days thing. But then Affleck has come out and said that it did happen. So I don't know, but... I feel like I trust Ben. I don't know. Yeah, honestly, with, especially with how much Boston people take that, like I wouldn't be caught dead in Yankees hat or jersey. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys um, like the casting of Neil Patrick Harris in this? Yeah. I do. Yeah, I think he again feels like a very real person. Um, I think a lot of people in this do. Um, have you guys ever met someone that this person reminds you of at all in terms of Amy? Yes. Like 2018 me, you know, <laughs> with my ex. <laughs> Wait, who's who? I'm glad I didn't know you in 2018. <laughs> you were Amy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Being okay. that blinded, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you see all yeah, the red just, flags and you just think you're at the circus. Yeah, I, I will just say I think she feels very uh, real. Um, and I, I really enjoy the scene at the end. Um, I don't know the woman's name that plays the main detective. I think she was good. She's and I like this, yeah. Yeah, I like Tim at Dickens. the end. Yeah, I like at the end when she they're all sitting there staring at Amy and she starts like pressing her and doesn't let her just fucking lie. And like, it's, that's so satisfying because that's so real. And I think there's so many people that just like, will sit there and put on shows like that. And like, if you don't press them, you're just letting them get away with it. But it just takes someone being like, can you, can you stop and talk about that? Like, what did you say? And like, she, it just unravels. And I just really, you yeah, know, the big thing way. is, she was tied up, and it's like, how did you get the box cutter if you were tied up? Um, yeah, so... And what do you guys think about the ending? I feel like that maybe we should end on that. I like it. They're both bad people, as we've stated, and they're stuck with each other, and that's what they deserve. I like that it's left for interpretation, too. I mean, like, not a lot of interpretation, obviously, because they are together in the end. But, like, you can speculate, like, what their future holds. Do you think either of them it, actually marked the other person? Amy, yes. Because Amy does this thing where she, they're both flawed, very flawed, but Amy doesn't want anybody that's perfect. She wants to mold them and make them into something, which is why she's not with Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris has a perfect life. He's rich. He has a good job, all this stuff. Um, Nick is a very flawed person. So I think she loves the fact that she and that Nick is flawed and that she can try to 
just, you know, keep messing with them if that makes sense, you know? But then I also feel like she molded herself, too. Like, because she, the whole, like, that whole scene where she's talking about, like, how she changed herself to appease him. Like, is that because she had a different viewpoint of who he was? And then once she realized, she kind of started thinking about it differently? Or, like... I don't know. She, she's tough. She's a tough character, too. I mean, I think they both put on a show when they first met each other. They didn't actually, you know, show each other who they really were. And they try to be happy. That's what you're 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 told that you're supposed to, you know, find the person you're meant to fall in love with, you know, get married, all this stuff. So they put on a show, and then they both realize, hey, this is not who the other person is. Yeah. I can kind of agree with what Stone was saying about how, like, the molding and everything, but also I think that, like, the whole movie, she's, like, lying about how she hates being Amazing Amy and her parents' books growing up, and I think she actually adores the attention and being in the public eye, so I think she's also just there for all that press coverage at the end, too, and I think it's going to give Nick something else to write about, so they're both kind of sticking with it for that alone. Yeah. Yeah, it's... All the like PR aspects of this are very interesting, um, and it's something like it's it's kind of an angle that, and also just like sen- like sensationalism, the way the media will take advantage of situation. Like you also see these ridiculous like pundit personalities that are just like milking this for everything it's worth, and they don't care about anything that's happening or the people or anything. They just care about like people watching. Um, I think them kind of like that angle is interesting as well. But it's really just like it's a PR movie, like um, on top of like media sensationalism and just like looking at marriage. But it's really about like spin doctors, kind of. It's it's interesting. Talking about media and uh, Fincher, um, there's a I think there's a story that Fincher looked at like sixty pictures of Ben Affleck smiling, and he really liked the weird way he smiled. And he said that guy's perfect, basically, which is why there's so much focus on that one in the story where he's next to in the picture and he smiles like fincher just really loved that um that, that characteristic about Affleck, how he smiled in public that's interesting yeah it seems like he like he was really cast for a specific reason like that's but with say, how meticulous fincher is like that's not surprising my favorite part of the movie um which might surprise you is i love how much cancer I love how much anticipation there is about the interview and there's a lot leading up to it, you know, and he's getting dressed and he's rehearsing and all this stuff. And like, okay, here we go. We're going to do the interview. And then you don't see it for a while. When I, when I first logged this movie on letterbox, the first time I was using letterbox, I had the book of gone girl and I went back and I looked and I said, does it, when he's preparing, does it go right into the interview or does it happen the same way it happened in the film? And in the book, it actually goes right into the interview. And I love that in the film, it subverted your expectations about, you know, okay, here's the interview. Let's go. Let's see what happens. Boom. You don't get to see it for a little bit. I really like that part. That's my favorite part of the film. I like that too. I think that's fun to like, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of subverting expectations in general. Like that, I think it's funny. Um, And I I like that because it also builds, excuse me, anticipation for a future point in the movie and keeps you like dialed in and keeps you like wondering what's going to come next. Um, yeah, it's a very well done story. Um, it's really excellent. You guys will like this fact, but uh, Ben Affleck actually 
uh, told David Fincher and he recommended Emily Ratajkowski to uh, David Fincher for the role of his, uh, his little play thing. So that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. That's crazy. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Anything here on for you guys? I think I got all my thoughts out. Yeah. Just like I agree with Ben Affleck, you know, fuck the Yankees. That's about all I got left. <laughs> I agree. All right, you guys ready to talk about Mank? Yeah. That's all you two again. I'll uh I'll go first. I don't like this very much at all. Um I think my I have kind of like a general indifference to Citizen Kane, um, which I think is like kind of a starting point of not particularly caring about this. I really like Gary Oldman. Um, I don't really understand this portrayal of the entire situation seems flawed, and I'm not exactly sure why Fincher decided to go ahead and just tell this story in the way that he did. But it seems um, irresponsible, I think. Um, I think a lot of the conflict um, between Orson Welles and Mankiewicz feels fabricated because it was. It wasn't particularly like that in real life. Um, and then I think you're basically implying that Mank was fully responsible for Citizens Kane, which is not accurate again. Um, so I just find it confusing as to why this got made. And I'm sure there's a reason. I'm sure there's... Um, Do you know who wrote it? His father, I believe. That might have that might have had a part of why it got made, too. Yeah, and it just seems like, I guess it was a personal decision. Um, and a personal movie for him. <clears throat> and it feels that way because you kind of watch it like, who the fuck were you making this for? Like, why did you make this? Um, and I think when you feel that way, it's kind of like they did it for themselves, which you're David Fincher. It's 20, you know, 20, 20, 21. What year was this? 2019. 19. Um, I think. No, 2020. I got okay. it. 2020. Um, you know, you've earned that and more power to you uh but it's not accurate in terms of history by most accounts so i think that's kind of strange uh and i also just don't really think this style lends itself like fincher i don't think he lends himself his style lends himself to this story so i'm trying to say so yeah it's just i'm never watching it again most likely i kind of like the what do you like about but not, it? Not, not extremely. I thought it was very interesting. Um, like you said, I think there's a very, like, why did he make this? Imagine being a director and your dad wrote a script and your dad's like, can you, because as far as I could tell, his dad hasn't done anything else. No. Like, uh, I, I mean, what do you, yeah, what do you do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's but, very fair. I mean. I thought it was very interesting. It's crazy. This feels like an Oscar movie. Yep. I mean, and that might be a lot of the reason why he made it too. 
is like saying, well, you know, I've had such a long career. My dad gave me this script. You know, maybe it's time I try to go for an Oscar, which this movie was nominated for 11 or 10, I believe, which is insane. And then I think it won two, but like for, I think, costume design and then also maybe cinematography as well, which makes sense. Um, I'm confused why Amanda Seyfried got nominated. Uh, I think Gary Oldman's really good in it. Um, Amanda Seyfried, she did fine. Um, she didn't, wasn't really a standout because I, I mean, I just watched this like not too long ago today. Um, I think she was fine. I thought the story is very interesting because I haven't watched Citizen Kane. So coming from that perspective of not watching it, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Showed you a lot about Hollywood. Um, the style was different. Um, one thing I didn't like, who's that actor we were talking about earlier from um, oh, Game of Thrones? He, uh, I think the whole, if I understood correctly, the whole film is about him, basically. And he's the reason why Citizen Kane's being written. It's basically about his story and about him. But he's not necessarily in the film that much, which I thought was very interesting. I mean, it is called Nank, but I thought that was a very interesting creative decision not to put him in the film that Often the guy who runs MGM is more in the film than he is. Um, but I, I did Louis like the Mayer. shot. What was that? Louis Mayer. Yeah. So I thought the story was interesting. Um, I probably won't watch it again, but I, I thought it was good to look at. Uh, the, the vibe of going in, in and out between, you know, present time and in the past and all that stuff, I feel like very much fit with the feel of the movie, the fading in and out that he was trying to do. But yeah, nothing too special. To be honest, I thought the story was interesting. I thought the feel, feel was nice. Uh, Gary Oldman's really good. Um, but that's about it. So I thought it was pretty solid. Um, unique, because I don't watch movies like this, stylized like this very often. So that might be there might be a lot better ones out there kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's my kind of perspective on it. And one thing yeah. that can't be overlooked, I feel like, is this gap, sorry, is this right. gap in between Gone Girl and Mink. Because there's very important things that we're talking about Fincher that happened. Fincher catapulted Netflix, if you think about it. Fincher, I believe, directed the first few episodes of House of Cards, which is very important. And Fincher loves Netflix. And he still has said that after the killers come out. And he was able to make a show like The Mindhunter, which came in between Gone Girl and Mank. So I feel like that's very interesting how he's still so involved with netflix because he basically had a part in starting it of creating house of cards so i don't think he'll leave netflix anytime soon which is insane the fact that we haven't had a david fincher film be released in theaters like traditionally since 2014 almost 10 years yeah and i really i think that's a mistake um i think it's a waste and i think it's like I don't want to say this in a rude way. I feel like he's like dumbing himself down in a way. And to be real, the last two movies he's made with Netflix are in the bottom third of what he's made, most likely for most the majority of the people. So, uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what he's doing. I'm sure the money is really, really good. And I'm sure it's, there's a, I know what he's doing. There's a feeling of comfort. There's a feeling of reliability when you have the backdrop of, streaming services especially when you don't maybe feel as you know david fincher i think thinks people are dumb animals honestly so i don't maybe he might not have like the most faith in the theatrical releases and like things being profitable so um yeah i think maybe having that feels safe but like i think it's just 
doesn't feel right. Like he is one of the better directors of the past quarter century. So I'm not sure. I don't know. I just, I don't like it that much. And I think. I don't think anybody likes it except him because like we talked about alien three, there's no studio interference. There is zero studio interference with Netflix. The only thing that's going to be interfering with him is the fact that he will not make probably any more TV shows for Netflix because he can't make season three of Mindhunter because they're just getting abuse. Mindhunter is excellent. It's a brilliant show, but it doesn't, those types of shows don't get views on Netflix. So he can make whatever movie he wants with the, the service. And I feel like that is so attractive to him. He doesn't really care about, like you said, if he released a movie in theaters, there's the concern, oh, it doesn't make enough money. It doesn't matter because Netflix wants someone like Fincher on the service and he wants the ability to have complete creative freedom as meticulous as he is. And that's just a perfect match. Nobody likes it except Fincher. It's yeah. funny you're saying um, all that too. And at the beginning of the episode, you were talking about how it's hard to find any of his movies on a streaming service right now. Like you would think Netflix would want to pick up all of his work now from how much he's done for them. All about contracts and stuff. Like yeah. yeah. Hopefully yeah. they will. Um, but yeah, that's all I would really say about Mank. Uh, and you were talking about like Charles Dance, like that's another thing. Like I think this movie exaggerates greatly his relevance to the story, which again, just like why? Like I I don't understand. But there, I'm sure there was a reason that this was written in the first place. You know, Fincher's dad, like whatever. You don't know what kind of personal stuff goes into it, like whatever. But um. Yeah, this is just uh, forgettable for me. I wish, I'm glad I'm not like you, and I wish I was like you at the same time, because I wish I knew so much about history and all this stuff, but I'm glad that I go into this movie, because I can just view it as it is, where it's you, it's a very different story. And it's very interesting, because you have to think about both types of people. You have to think about people when you're making a film like me, is this going to be entertaining, which it wasn't that entertaining, but I thought it was solid. But then you also have to think about the people who actually know the true story as well. So I think you're seeing the two types of people that view Mank right here. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, and I, I made agree. that comment to Dan, too, about military movies. Like, I pick out a bunch of shit that bothers me that, like, the average person would never know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you frequently have to decide when you're making a movie, am I going for the... And, I mean, this this conversation, again, this is its own video, but, like, we this was just the thing with Napoleon. Like, you have all these freaking people bugging out about every detail in Napoleon not being textbook accurate. And it's like, those textbook accurate... Master and Commander is one of my favorite movies ever made. That's textbook accurate. It's brilliant. I think it's one of the best things ever made. No one cares about that movie. Like, most people don't care about it. I love it, but, like, it doesn't make money. It doesn't live on, like, in the mainstream. So, like, you have to choose between, like, spectacle and making an entertaining movie a lot of times, or telling things how they were and like you know it's difficult it's not like easy so um you know i see both sides for sure it's the same thing with the social right. network too because that's a that's a biopic too and there's a lot of made up stuff in the social network as well yeah, my favorite movie a movie like it's yeah, not yeah. a documentary like it's there's balance and like um the only person who really cares is zuckerberg which i get that <laughs> yeah and it's like, did fucking Napoleon charge in on his fucking horse at Waterloo with his, like, cavalry? No. But, like, does it look good on the screen? Yeah. Like, 
you know, it's it's a movie. Like no one's no one's gonna sit there and watch him fucking drink coffee while he watches people fight for two hours, three hours. Like, so, um, yeah, it's just it's annoying. So, uh, Connor, if you don't know about the story behind Citizen Kane, you'll probably like it a little bit more. But it's it's a fine movie that you don't really have to watch again after you view it one time, in my opinion. Yeah. Now I'll probably knock out the rest of Fincher this week. Yep. Are we ready to talk about the killer? Yeah. The next installment. My my initial thoughts, the first act was like peak cinema, and the rest of the movie is just all right. What do you like the most about the first act? I just kind of like showing like how methodical he is, like him walking you through all his steps, why he sleeps the way he does, like, you know, his eating habits, like how you have to wait, the heartbeat, all of that, until he misses that shot, you know? Yeah. Um, Stone, what are your feelings? Uh, well, I mean, the more and more I read about it and listen to people talk about it, the more I like it. Um, something that's very interesting that I hate this, but I had this thought going in is I knew that there was going to be a lot of product, product placement, right? And when I was doing my Fincher rewatch, there's a lot of product placement in all of these fucking movies. There's tons everywhere. This is the most obvious one when you have an Amazon, you know, thing right on the screen. But there's product placement, obviously, in Fight Club, and there's a lot of product placement in Gone Girl and The Social Network and all this stuff. And I hate that I went into this film, my very first viewing, because I haven't rewatched really watched it. And I'm like, oh, look at all this product placement. And then I go out back and watch his entire filmography. I'm like, it's everywhere. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting because the thing that's, that people forget about is that he's, this guy's not that good of a killer during this movie. He makes mistakes, obviously the initial hit, but the fact that he's sitting over, isn't that time where he thinks that one guy, uh, Keith David, that's not Keith David, um, that one guy's going to pass away. He's like, oh, you have this amount of time. And then he just dies. Like right in front of him, and you're like, "Oh shit!" He, he was wrong. Um, just little things like that. Um, it's there's a lot of unwrapping. I feel like there's a lot of more uh, things under the surface because I feel it's like a very basic story, and I know it's not that because it's Fincher, but because I'm simple-minded, I got the basic part of it during my first viewing, and I'm really excited to go back and watch it. But um, yeah, that was one thing I wish that I didn't have going into it was all the product placement because that's something that you shouldn't focus on and it's hard not to. Um, one key thing that I didn't catch up on until recently is there's a scene in the movie where he's shipping out something and they're like, do you want fast overnight? And she goes, no, two days. I'm like, okay, cool. And that is on later in the movie is when he ships to that, that um, building and that a FedEx guy is going into that building. That is the package that he sent. He purposely, I don't know if you guys caught on to that. You probably did. But, um, yeah, I didn't realize that when I first viewed it. But. Yeah, I think there's a funny, I don't know if it's funny. I think there's a lot of commentary in this movie about service workers. Um, like, he has that, like, he has a cab driver that he literally just fucking shoots, murders, and just, like, leaves the door open and just walks away. Um, and I think there's... Also, like, obviously, the delivery driver later on that he poses himself, like, he poses as, but also follows the guy in and out. Like, I think there's commentary about, like, how invisible a lot of those people are and how they just blend in as, like, part of society that we all actually rely on. But they're just kind of, like, 
fodder for the world. Um, this movie is a, is really, I think there's a lot of commentary on like capitalism in general. Um, he is a basically like robot of capitalism itself. Um, he doesn't give a shit about anything in life. He doesn't care about people. He does exactly what he has to do to get paid. His entire like mantra, his core values that he always is repeating over and over again are just based around getting things done efficiently and moving on. Like he's a robot. Like he's like a um automaton. Like he there's nothing to him. So I think there's kind of some funny commentary there. Um but I also think like this is fin like this is Fincher talking about himself. Like or at least maybe how he's perceived. And I think maybe there's some kind of um comedy there as well because he's maybe saying people perceive me to be this you know awful monotonous robot that demands all these takes and he's so hard to work with and he makes he's so dark and this and that but he does care about the woman that gets attacked that he's with or whatever like he does make mistakes um and to me i i thought like him missing that shot uh i feel like it was a i felt like that was about mank like um, and I also, I think there's a lot of humor in his reactions. Like a lot of times it's, he doesn't care that he missed or he doesn't care about the person that died. He cares that he's like, oh, I missed. Like, how did that happen? Um, and I think even in when he's going about his revenge, he's like almost trying to prove that he's still capable. It's not like he does care about the person who was attacked, but like, it's not overwhelming grief. It's like this is an inconvenience. I I enjoy being around this person, but I also like am annoyed with myself that I made a mistake and my process, you know, maybe it might not be in, infallible. So I'm going to try to prove that I'm still capable, that I can still do everything I need to do. Um, so yeah, I think this is like again. I think Fincher really likes being meta, and this is the most meta fucking movie I've watched in a long time. Um, but again, to the average, like to the person watching this who just wants to see like something entertaining, they're gonna watch this and be like, "Yo, I'm fucking bored." Um, and you have to look at it that way too, because I feel like yeah. people are like, "Oh, oh, you, you have to think about casual viewer, people who love Fincher, five out of five, right?" But people who are just like, "Does this entertain me?" Maybe not as much, you know? Yeah, and that's exactly what I said in my review at the end. Like, if you're just looking for entertainment, like, don't watch this. Like, it's not you're not throwing this on. To, like eat pizza on a Friday night and like have a good time. Like it's 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 monotonous, um, but it's like you know. And even as a Fincher fan, like I don't think it's I wouldn't say it's perfect. It's just like I think it's re I think it's really funny and like in a dark way. But like that's about it. And I'm not gonna go back and like rewatch this many times. Maybe once or twice more. So I think it's very interesting and just. Fincher doing something again for himself. You know, sometimes being on a podcast with you, I feel so inferior when you go on your rants like that. No, I, I mean, I also <laughs> think way too much into things. And like, again, like Stone just said, the average person doesn't give a fuck about all that. Yeah. They, you're, you're watching a movie to be entertained. Like, it's not... You don't want to see a director just like jerk himself off. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, this, this is very similar to panic room in my opinion, because panic room, he did that movie because he wanted to do that style of movie. Right. 
Fincher did this movie for himself. And very, it's something I find uh, fascinating and surprising is the fact that, like Panic Room, unlike the rest of Fincher's movies, this script is very simple and basic. I mean, he got it from a comic, which is very interesting because I feel like, you know, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Fight Club, even The Social Network, um, Zodiac. There's so much, yeah, Gone Girl, yeah, Gone Girl. There's so much richness in those stories that he tells, and that's more of the top of his filmography. Everyone loves that, but he chose to do something about a comic, which is very interesting to me. So I think this is better than Panic Room, but in my opinion, the reason why it is limited for me is because it's just, I love it when Fincher's films are more rich, in my opinion, because I think he does that really well. Yeah, and I like, like, I do like the moments, like the moments of um, dialogue and like back and forth between characters, like, and it's mostly people, it's mostly people talking at him, which I think is very funny. Like he 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 watches people like a jaguar, like a big cat. Like that's what he's like. Like there's nothing. He doesn't care. Like he doesn't really. But people are all trying to like. He basically kills everyone he meets in the movie. Essentially, it's he meets someone. They're besides the trying last guy. to. Yeah, they're trying to work out of it, and then he kills them. Um, which is an interesting way to set up a movie. It's like he's such a solitary animal. Like there's, there's no one else that means anything to him outside of the woman he ends up with at the end. Who's, you I, know. I didn't like that because they they spend so little time developing that at all, and he doesn't really mention her the rest of the story. But that's the driving force. That's one thing about the film that I kind of can't forgive. Like you can say, oh, he's so you know he's so focused on himself, not really human, robotic. But the reason they hurt that woman, which is the reason why he goes on his killing streak. But they spend so little time on that. That's the thing. I I don't feel that's the main reason he did it. I think he felt like he fucked up and had to prove himself. I think she is a added bonus. I think he probably, if you were to talk to that character about that relationship, she's probably just as much of a camouflage for him to blend in in the world as his clothes. And, like, just as much of a day-to-day, just kind of extra, just piece of being a human. Like, he is an alien. Like, and even when he's sitting there at the end, I, I really like that shot. Like, that shot of him, like, he's just, he's not there. Like, the, nobody's home. Like, he's just, it's almost like a shell of a person. And he's just kind of probably waiting there for his next job or for whatever he decides to do next. Like, it's... Yeah, I, I I would say I don't think that was the main motivation. I think he was displeased with his failure and then wanted to clean it up or prove something to himself. But th- I could be completely wrong. Um, that's kind of how yeah, I read it. I, I kind of agree with you now that you've like laid it out like that. <clears throat> I think Michael Fassbender was fantastic in this too. Yeah, and it's like Fincher gets these people and that he has them do exactly what they're good at. Like he doesn't you try to make, and again, another sports analogy, Bill Belichick for all those years, all he did was find other teams trash and say, what do you do well? Oh, you got cut from the the Bengals. What do you, did you do well? What were they trying to make you do that you don't do? I'm going to let you do exactly what you're good at. Do that for me, nothing else. For as long as you're capable, then I'll let you go. Like He just let people do what they do and doesn't try to make them do other things. That's what great coaches do. That's what great directors do. Like, 
That's what Fincher does. And he might be hard to work with, but he also gets the best fucking performances from these people that they're capable of over and over and over again. And like, what more can you want as an actor? Like, even though it's difficult, like what more can you want? It just puts you on display in the best way. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys have anything else on this or you want to rip our rankings? Just real quick on the woman aspect. Yeah, I'm still coming because you're you're very good at dissecting films, right? And you see that aspect of him, you know, that doesn't matter to him, right? He's more on this revenge thing, not for the woman, right? But the fact that someone got the upper hand on him, right? Beat him at his own job kind of thing. And that's not supposed to happen. But I still think you have just by including her, like you could have not included her, right? Someone could have broken into his, their home, stolen something, something like that. But when you include a female interests, the casual viewer, like myself, automatically thinks that person is important to him. He's in the hospital. He goes and he is with her in the hospital. Then yeah. he goes on. Then he goes on his revenge thing. Obviously, that person is very important to him from a script standpoint because he goes directly from the hospital on his revenge thing. But she's not really mentioned at all in the film anymore. And you're like, does he really care about this woman? He doesn't. I mean, that's his thing. He doesn't really talk. But you still got to think of those things. Like, yeah. yeah. And I think there's every, enough, that scene there's matters. Enough, there's enough emotional registration of that event for him to like. I can see your viewpoint. Like it is, it's not like he doesn't just fucking cold stone face the whole thing. So it's like, I almost wish they had let it be one or the other more fully. Yeah. It seems like a myth. Um, so, cause I, I do hundred percent see your, your point of view. I would have liked you know it if they didn't have that shot this? of him. Oh yeah. yeah. What Connor? He doesn't blink in this movie at all. That's a cool detail. And again, that's the, the, like big cat energy like like just yeah just your food like that's it like um it's a good performance and again this is right in this is fastbender it's nothing new um but it's really good he doesn't really act anymore right he does racing right he doesn't race cars now i mean 20, he's in next goal wins but he didn't really do anything before these two movies 20 15 or 2014 i think was his last job i could be wrong but um yeah next goal next goal wins was actually filmed in 2019 and i believe actually included army hammer so they actually had to do a lot of reshoots and take army hammer out of that movie and replace him with will arnett which is another i haven't watched that movie but i feel like people are being too hard on it because that movie production was not good on it at all yeah um Fassbender also he he had legal stuff he he actually uh i mean he was accused of like doing some pretty awful shit to his girlfriend i think a couple times and i think he kind of went away for a while because of that or at, maybe not necessarily because of that but like just and he also he just needed a break i think he also loves driving um i've heard i've heard people speak on both sides of what happened in terms of like the validity and i'm not completely up to date on the legal status of that but it definitely was something happened so that's a shame um to hear but he is a very good actor uh i hope what they said happened didn't actually happen but i wasn't even aware of that for a long time um i actually made a movie and if you guys like this is just a little tangent but if you like fastbender watch uh slow west it's like an 85 minute western 
um, with him, it's uh, really, really good. Um, and it's, again, right in his wheelhouse. If you like this, you'll like Slow West a lot. And it's an excellent uh, story. I'll have to add that to my forever growing watch list. Sure. Yeah. I remember you. I remember you talking about that. That's when that person commented all that stuff about yeah. Fastlander. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's worth watching. All right. Well, Stone, you want to lead us with your uh, ranking of David Fincher? My ranking. All right. This is at the top of my head. All right. I don't have anything written in front of me. My laptop is de dead. We know that there's been technical issues. So we're going to go with Alien 3 at the bottom, unfortunately. That might go up on a rewatch when I do not watch it with Alien, Aliens, and then that film, because that made it not good to me when you watch them in a row. Just a very big dip in quality. Um, second, I'm going to go Panic Room. Like I said, compared to all of his other things, I just think it's a really solid movie, but it's just fine. It's a fine movie. I think the characters could have been developed a lot more, um, but you can only do so much when it's a you know one room situation. Uh, third, I'm going to go to the game. Um, or third, I guess next I'm going to go to the game. Um, based on what Dan has said, I, I've only watched the movie once. I think there's a lot of underlying themes that I'll have to get, but I think that um, it's just the 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 story itself is the most interesting part, not necessarily a really big memorable scene. Um, next, I'm going to go Mank. Surprisingly, I really do like the style of Mank. Um, I think it is very interesting when you watch it the one time. The performance from Gary Oldman is a lot better than I think Michael Douglas is in the game, which I do like performances. I like the story a lot more interesting than the game as well. Um, next, I'm going to go The Killer. Um, I think this could get better on a rewatch. I've only watched it one time. It's very entertaining. A lot of deep, deep uh, things there that not a lot of people see on the first viewing so i'm excited to revisit i didn't get to talk about it because we had um the uh technical difficulty but i'm going to curious case of benjamin button next i really do like that story a lot it is very different i think it was very funny i didn't get to talk about it a lot i very, think it's funny how they made uh brad pitt into a very believable old man but kate blanchett still looks beautiful when you're trying to make her look like she's 80 but that was very hilarious um but yeah i do like it i think it's a very good love story um next i'm gonna go seven um, incredibly incredible movie. The fact that it's a second film, and like you said, I think in the IM or the Letterbox Top 250, very solid. Morgan Freeman, Beth, very memorable. Kevin Spacey is a great villain. Um, next, I'm going to go probably Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, that is one that I definitely know will get better on rewatch, but I've only watched it one time. Um, I don't like that it kind of feels like it sets up a sequel a little bit, um, and also I get confused with the names. But yeah, that's there. Gone Girl. I have a really soft spot next with Gone Girl in my heart. I watched Gone Girl a lot of times. Probably besides Social Network, the adventure movie I watched the most. Um, I really like it. Um, I think Affleck and Rosemary Pike are perfect. Great story. Um, next is Zodiac. Uh, perfectly uh, story for Fincher. Um, I think all the performances are great. I love that it makes you try to solve the mystery along with them. And then I'm going to go Fight Club at number two. I believe. I believe I haven't missed any. And then I'm going to go Social Network at number one. Like I said, I think it's the most uh, important film of the 2010s with just talking about the fact that it talks about Facebook and how much that changed over the 2010s and the fact that this came out in 2010. Um, pretty astonishing. I just love everything's working so great. Best score, um, maybe best performance with Eisenberg out of any Fincher's films. I mean, I think Affleck's the best casted, but I think Eisenberg maybe has the best performance. So, yeah, I'm going to go social network number one. But I don't think I'm going to say anything. 
right. Dan? So I'm going with Alien 3, Dead Last. Um, next is Benjamin Button. Um, this just doesn't work for me very well. Uh, it feels like an outlier for Fincher. Uh, then Mank. I love Gary Oldman. Um, it saves it from being last or second to last. That's about it here. Uh, next, this is where I start. I would say enjoyment, like legitimate enjoyment. Um, Panic Room. Um, I think it's excellent at what it does. It excels at being what it is. Next is The Killer. Um, again, I'm not going to go back to this much. I honestly think I might rewatch Panic Room before I rewatch The Killer. Uh, but I can also really appreciate what Fincher was doing. Um, I think a lot of it's really funny, like I said, but at the end of the day, you also do need to tell an interesting story. You can't just be filling the screen with subtext, so that's where I lose it. Um, next, 10, 9, 8, this would be 7. At number 7, I have 7. Um, it's a good movie. I enjoy it. Uh, a lot of it's forgettable to me. Um, some logical stuff doesn't make sense at the end. Uh, and yeah, but it's very good. Next is Fight Club at 6. Um, technically really sound, interesting, fun twist. Uh, gets a little too much praise, I think, especially when you compare it to some of the other stuff. At five, I have the game. Um, this moved up for me since I ranked the last. Um, again, I think this movie is hilarious. Uh, I think there's a lot of really funny, like, dark humor there. Um, and it's just unique. It's not really like anything else um, I've seen. Number four... I'm going to go with the social network. Um, technically insane and really good performances. I don't find myself caring that much about the story or as much as I should or many people do. Um, I'm curious to see how that changes over time. But right now it's at four. Three is Gone Girl. Um, two great individual performances. Witty, um, really meta, good commentary. Um, just really, really strong. Again, unique, like Fincher doing some of his best work. Um, two is Zodiac. Uh, I think this is one of the most incredible investigations in like human history, and it does a really good job of showing that to us. Um, I like the frustration it leaves you with. I like um, the performances. It really pulls you into the story, and it's so detailed. I just really love Zodiac. That was my number one for a long time. Um, on rewatch, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo um, is just very much my speed, my style. Um, two of my favorite actors, a great villain, a really good mystery, um, sharp writing. Fincher's tone is all over this. Um, I think this is the best representation of him as a director, just diving into humanity um, and how he feels about it. So number one is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. So I'm obviously missing four. So my bottom and number eight is Benjamin Button. I I don't know if I'd ever go back and rewatch it. I mean it it has some grind. Good, what? It's a grind. Yeah. It has some decent parts, but for the most part I just I don't know, I didn't find a whole lot of enjoyment out of it. Uh, my number seven is the killer. 
again, I think that first act is fantastic, but after that, it just kind of loses me. Uh, my number six is Zodiac. Bro. <laughs> love what you love, man. Don't let them. Don't let Dan's faces skew you. It's fun. We do this every episode. We do a ranking. There's something we disagree. Like his Pulp Fiction, I think, is the most egregious Tarantino ranking. Where he has right, it, right in the middle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, which is funny too, because of how much of a Jake Gyllenhaal fan I am. Like yep. you think it'd be higher, but I don't know something about it. I I think I need to rewatch it. And we'll revisit this ranking later. Uh, I'm number respect though for not just skewing it based off an actor you love being in it. Like I think that's a good thing. Be able to look at it like and still judge it fairly from how you like things. I think that's good. Yeah, no, I don't let. I think the only thing like his bias kind of gets me on is when I rank Tom Holland's Spider Man's. Yeah, that's fair. Is my number two sways a little higher than most people's? <laughs> uh, yeah. Fight Club is my five. Uh, again, you know, like we said, it has a strange cult following and gets a little overhyped a lot of the time. Uh, Social Network at four. I like your ranking for that too, Dan. Seven is my three. Like I said, I like this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I understand it's not the best though. Two, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is funny because when we started this before we actually talked about it in depth, since I just watched it last night, this was at like my five. <laughs> After talking about it and hearing your guys' thoughts, it definitely moved up. Like I was saying earlier, Stone. <laughs> and then my number one is Gone Girl. Well, I like. Uh, I think there's really interesting varying in all our lists. I think they're all. I like. I like when the lists are different. Connor, I think we've had a couple where we've been like super, like Nolan. Nolan, we yeah. are like lock and step on Nolan. I think our um, one through eight on Nolan was identical. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty wild. Uh, but I, I like that there was some um, nice different opinions here. I like hearing your guys' takes on all of these because there's, you know, a lot of different ways to view most of them. So I, I like that. Yeah, what type of movie would you guys want Pinscher to make next? I made this comment on our last podcast episode, but I honestly, I want Fincher to do series of unfortunate events. I, I, I like that idea a lot. I think, I think you do You're really good at that. Almost like a grown-up, like, grimy, dark, intertwined with, like, crime version. I think would do a lot of numbers and also be really entertaining. So yeah, make it um, for the generation that read those books growing up. And then also we've seen him do how many book adaptations to be great. Wait. I would like to see Fincher do um, a war movie. I think um, Benjamin Button. That's, that's, uh, that's my, that's, I, I do like that movie more than you guys, but I, I obviously I cut out when y'all, y'all were talking about it, but that is the one aspect of it. Where I was like, ah, I don't really like this right now. The uh, war aspect of it, but yeah, it might be a weird take, but maybe something like some kind of period war piece, like something in like the revolution that deals with like spies or you know someone like Benedict Arnold or Paul Revere, like something that was like you know even like Washington crossing the Delaware. Like there's so many like insane, like complicated, like 
dark stories from that time period that were like so crucial to like our country existing. I think he could do a really cool job turning those into something that like the average person would enjoy. I don't know if that's a strange take, but that's no, I'd say go farther back, go farther back and do Genghis Khan. Yeah. I mean, um, Genghis Khan is one of the most interesting people in world history. Uh, and one of the most influential people that has ever lived. And I think, He's someone that deserves like a knockdown, drag out, huge film. Um, Marco Polo, I've talked about before, but on Netflix deals with Kublai Khan, um, and is awesome. It's Benedict Wong from like the MCU and all, um, and he plays Kublai, and it's like incredible. But the Mongols were like so interesting, um, and were so ridiculously powerful and influential in the world for so long. That's a good. That's yeah, a good he killed ten percent of the world's population. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and a, I think a noticeable, at least a um, meaningful percentage of the world's population can trace their DNA back to Genghis, which is wild. Especially in uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the characters or historical characters or figures like that deserve films, but I feel like it's very difficult. It's like look at Napoleon. Napoleon is a Napoleon is a very hard film to make because he's done so much. So I don't know necessarily if Fincher would fit, fit it perfectly because I feel like like his stories aren't grand, you know? And I feel like it maybe a smaller, more known historical figure, like as a smaller story, would it be better fit him than someone of that magnitude, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's very, like, it's strange because he's personal, but not personal. I think probably the grandest story he did was Zodiac just because it sprawls over time and but like even that, it's like it's still through the viewpoint of like um, those few individuals. And I think where when you're making historical epics and whatnot, regardless of what you focus on in that person's life, people will complain. Like people are like, oh, Napoleon should have focused on this period or that period or like this. And like, I want to see his when he's young. But like if you add in his that an hour about when he's young, what are you removing? Like you can't please everyone you have to decide and that's why i like what ridley scott did like he wanted to make it about his relationship so he did that and like people didn't like it but some people didn't like it but like you got to take a stand somewhere you got to decide what you're going to talk about or focus on or you can just half-ass a bunch of different little aspects of it and it will have no value at all so i haven't, wa- I haven't watched the film but i saw a lot of people saying that the movie steve jobs did that really well i believe that's aaron sorkin the same person who wrote um social network rather than focusing on steve jobs entire life like it took three different time periods or three different times of his life but all have the same narrative and they was able to like rope them all together better rather than try to tell the entire story of his life kind of thing yeah and that's the challenge of filmmaking is deciding which stories to tell and which to not and you know that's difficult Yeah. I go with a historical movie. I would like that a lot. I think that'd be good for him. Yeah, this was a long conversation, but a good one. It's a lot, so much to get into with yeah. him, and like we probably could have gone even longer. Like, um, but yeah, it's, all these have a lot to give you a lot to chew through. Yeah, and hell, I didn't even make it through all of them. Yeah, it's it's an ordeal, man. It's, it's a struggle. But um, and I'm excited Imagine to see the episode where we 
Imagine an episode where we decide to do like Spielberg or something. Yeah, you can't do Scorsese or anything, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got we we you got to break it down into chunks. Like, do a top five, top ten. You could even do a top three and just go deep. Like, it's it's uh, yeah, too much. But like, pick one from each decade or something. I wonder when it's all said and done, how many films Venture will end up making. Like, will he hit twenty? We hit like fifteen. I wonder what if he has a a sense in his mind. It's very interesting because I feel like directors a lot of times are like, just it's crazy because certain directors are like, oh, this is my next movie when their other movie is about to come out. Yeah, like I think Denis Denis Villeneuve already knows what movie he's about to make next, but Fincher, you have no idea. He hasn't talked about it. I mean, movies take so long to make, so his next film could be like three or four years away. So. Yeah. I think even Scorsese's talked about his next film too. I think it's going to star Leo again. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You look at some people and they have like four things in like some stage of pre-production and like other people, it takes so long, but yeah, it's always exciting to see what your favorite directors are going to do next. All right, Stone, we'll tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at medical movie man on TikTok and then just stone pussy on Letterbox is basically all I do. Um, I like posting a lot of fun stuff over there. I never take movies that seriously, even though I love them so much. Respect everyone's opinion. Even if you don't like Pulp Fiction, that's okay. We accept, I accept you. I mean, I mean, I'm the same way with Dan. It's in the middle of mine. I don't know if Connor will, but in the middle of my Tarantino. But yeah, that's where you can find me if you want. He's on it. He's on it. Thanks for staying on for so long. So I know this was a, you know, it's, it's tough, but, um, yeah, tell your wife, we apologize for keeping you. Yeah, she's at work. You're good. We same here. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's been good guess. Go like rest your jaw or something. <laughs> yeah, I need a large glass of water and just I'm gonna go lie down for a minute. <laughs> <laughs>